her work. Right, let's get started. Yes, yes. We start with Jakob Czanke, a pastor of the uh, Evangelical Free Church of Riedlingen, who looks at the topic of Corona from the point of view of um, biblical Christians and the Corona crisis as a uh, call of God to uh, turn back. Good morning, Mr. Czanke. Yes, we can hear you now. Mr. Czanke, I heard some of your uh, sermons and saw uh, some of your video clips, and I was surprised that early on you took a clear position. How come? Well, um, I was suspicious right from the start. When the first news came in from China, it was very surprising that there is a big difference between the extreme measures that China took on one hand and the few low figures that China reported, um, which led to alternative media to opposed to the official political opinion saying that corona is nothing it's less than a flu most people won't notice it but mr drosten and so on um, had the opinion that this wish would be a killer virus um, millions of people dying in china and uh, now um, the interesting point was that the Chinese measures of the government really didn't match what the figures seemed to be. So that led me to be suspicious and I monitored it for a while and it became clear quite quickly that the after the official narrative was changed and then Corona became to be a killer virus by March 2020. So, or 2019. So maybe uh, just as an introduction from um, 2015, I started to look critically at things, um, doing respective sermons and so on. So outside and before Corona, you were suspicious of a number of things, maybe uh, disbelieving some of the official narrative. Yes, it started with medical issues. Um, we, it, uh, um, I was never a law officer, by the way. I was a, a priest all the way through. Um, sorry, we had a, um, a mistake here in our in our data sheet. Uh, probably uh, there was, it was a slip. No, no matter. It doesn't matter really. Um, so, uh, so, so. No, this refers to the last two uh, guests of the day, uh, two active uh, staff members of the LAPD probably the world's most uh, famous police department of los angeles uh, police department then there's another one nypd the new york uh, police department though uh, that's who you've been uh, confused with but you're not wearing a blue uniform so i believe you're a pastor not an lapd officer okay good so i said that i as a father i am in contact with many elderly people and i noticed that things are going wrong in the health system 
that uh, people have to be their own doctor and uh, get to collect and gather medical knowledge. And with the swine flu was the first uh, start. I was quite naive. We had our children vaccinated in the uh, opinion that um, this was a good thing to do. And that started, however, uh, for me to be skeptical. Well, you were still uh, aware of that. I'd completely forgotten about this, and only when Wolfgang Wodak reminded me of it did I think, well, yes, there was something, all right, uh, but I really have uh, the swine flu on the horizon anymore. Well, for us, this was a key incident for us uh, concerning vaccination against these things. So when did you start uh, speaking out about this uh, publicly, at least within your uh, community? From summer 2015 on, really. First of all, not so much in my community, but um, on our webpage, um, we started a little blog with small notes where I wrote uh, contributions uh, in the congregation. And then um, in 2014, I started to look about the uh, effect of Islamization in the Christian countries. And when I noticed that uh, we have this also now connected to migration topics, we um, see we saw things that were going wrong, and that led me to an interview, I think, in September 2015 in a local newspaper, and that raised some stir at the time, calling for an autonomy, my congregation should be closed, I should be dismissed, and I had uh, proceedings. But of course, all of that uh, was stopped. Back then, one can say, of course, as you just said, today it wouldn't be such a matter, of course, if you publicly criticize corona measures, then it's not so um, devoid of danger. But as there are numerous people now who have a lot of knowledge in uh, terms of science and uh, medicine, um, offering criticism here, you can't um, squash it so easily anymore. But when you think about what happened to the two judges in Weimar, you have to say oh, nothing is a matter of course anymore when we look at the legal system, the crumbling uh, legal system and, and hope to be able to trust in it. Yeah, that's quite right. Um, so, um, until now, I am confident that the Lord has held his hand over us, and that will be so in the future. How about your congregation, Mr. Chanke? The members of the congregation, are they mostly critical, or um, is it split down the middle, basically? Well, luckily, uh, due to the historic uh, experience, we have a quite a uniform opinion, which is mainly due to um, the congregation having grown under my um, 
my um, partnership here, and it started in 2015, really, with the migration that uh, people joined our congregation who had problems, and the central point always is the Bible. That's the m m fundamental base of our work. And then still beyond that, we have to have a good perspective of what's going on besides. And since 10th of May 2020, we were allowed to have our services. And since then, the congregation is growing and growing and growing. And of course, with many people who share our views. So it's quite uniform. Uh, there are just a handful of exceptions, really. That's a bit surprising, actually, because otherwise we see no sign of light from the churches, no matter which church you're talking about. And one of the exceptions, there's a, a colleague of yours in Austria, I believe, who sounds like a German. Um, I think he's also a um, synchronous voice, a professional voice for TV. Um, he has a similar, he's made similar statements. I think we need to get into contact with him. And then you can find some uh, English language uh, statements of members of some uh, church somewhere else in the world. I heard a nun this uh, morning. Uh, she must be American. We might uh, include her um, as a third uh, video. She made a clear statement. And she said, this is not my personal opinion, but it is something you can see on the news. But he's not referring to the mainstream media news, but to the alternative media, which, however, reflect what has been published under the Great uh, Reset. Um, for instance, reduction of the population, etc. She mentions this, but that is the exception. She also clearly mentions that at the top of the other side of the evil forces, as she calls them, um, you'll find the Pope. So that is something that you won't um, see or hear in the mainstream, but those are the things that will be crucial at the end of the day, because once we have the opportunity now, as I would see it, to get to the root of matters, then it will be important to follow up on this kind of thing as well. How do you approach this? Which of the facts do you look at? I think uh, I seem to remember that you're not only looking at the medical facts, the PCR test can't um, provide deliver on what it promises, as you said before, but you also look at the background um, because you have to ask the question, if it's not about health, what is it all about? Well, I try to, as far as the people in my sermons are concerned, I try to look at the immediately visible things, tests, masks, injection. And also in 2015, I've already said, we have to make clear what you said in the introduction as well, the upfront people, Drosten, Spahn, and so on, they are just the uh, figures, um, the puppets on the strings of other people. And I point this out all the time. There are at least two, three, four, five uh, levels of hierarchy behind them. And my theological conviction is that it is um, supernatural uh, powers um, beyond this. 
uh, who uh, dry all these. This is why I call these satanistic as opposed to my uh, biblic approach. Um, whether they don't know or whether they deliberately entered into that sphere is what I don't want to say, but uh, it is uh, can only be this evil as it is if it is satanistic. May I make a comment here? Rainer, I think you forgot um, we had Pastor Stockman here. Um, who's also active. He may actually be one of the uh, co-founders of Christians uh, uh, in Resistance. I think that's his main activity. And it's important to say uh, for people also who would like to get involved as Christians and who are looking for a new congregation to uh, join them. It's uh, interesting to see that it's two free church pastors who uh, take the floor here. That's uh, interesting. And I also think that what's also been forgotten is the um, very impressive Russian Orthodox representative. I forget the name. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Alexandre, I'm not sure. He was great too. And we had a Greek Orthodox um, uh, gentleman who was also very committed. And then there's someone who we haven't heard yet among the Catholics, Anastasia Schneider, who we should interview as well. He is someone who takes a clear position, but they are only a handful of people, and particularly against the background uh, of the fact that the uh, churches really uh, claim to be standing up for the weak and the um, prosecuted, the vulnerable. I find it quite oppressing um, that uh, so little is done, that so little is being discussed. What can be done? Because I can see that uh, the churches uh, are actively advocating in favor of the people who um, are depressive, who've lost their livelihoods, who are uh, afraid of uh, physical interventions, etc. That they're not pretending, protecting those people. Then. That's uh, people like you, Mr. Chanke, Mr. Stockman, or the nun that we are going to hear in the end of this session will have to take this over. Is the case that your congregation, and I assume so, uh, gets information from other sources as well? You mean outside of TV and newspapers? Yes, and beyond from what you tell the congregation, um, as I've seen from you, I think you ask the people to get informed, to look at what's going on outside and start your own opinion. Yes. Sometimes some uh, critical statements on my person, my work, uh, seem to imply that I'm telling people uh, what's happening and people only come uh, see the light after I talk to them. That's completely wrong. Um, usually what happens is that these people have had those uh, insights previously and uh, who are grateful that somebody uh, speaks their mind, and uh, particularly from a Christian uh, point of view. And the drama of this, uh, these times is, unfortunately, has been for many years, that there is no such uh, group of people who are so much uh, brought into line as um, Christianity. Um, that's a phenomenon that I kind of where does that come about. from? Is that because it's an organizational structure aligned to power 
which has um, asked for a certain uniformity of opinions. It can't be that easy. If it was only uh, restricted to the state churches, to the, the regional churches, I used to be a regional uh, pastor from 1986 to 99. If I still were in this institution, um, I probably would have been um, removed from office because the hierarchical uh, positions of power play a role, but the uh, strange phenomenon is that um, most of the free congregations, independent small congregations that aren't affiliated to any uh, organizations where these uh, power structures are not in place, went down the same road. And that is something I see across Germany and beyond, but particularly uh, very striking in Germany. All the congregations, with very, very few exceptions, go down the same road. Well, that, what could be a point here is that we noted that lots of redefining has been going on of terms that we had understood differently in the context of the crisis. Solidarity is a good case here, and this may have been the case in some of the Christian-oriented um, people who look at their grandmother and uh, forget about solidarity with the children who have to be locked at home, have stress in their homes and many other worse things, so that these are simply eliminated from the perception so that the humane um, compassion is misguided here and people who see themselves at left are um, on the Solidarność way, um, but in a different way than we would understand it or have understood it in the past, that uh, solidarity is not just confirming concerning one group, but many uh, who are affected by collateral damage. Yes, well, my perception is that Christians have tried to cozy up with the world over the last few years, so uh, God's will doesn't play that role anymore. Um, uh, as Bismarck uh, said, uh, there's only uh, the emperor and the God in this world, um, so a, a certain fear of the Lord uh, is uh, important for a Christian. Um, a, a Christian is interested in being uh, uh, being seen favorably by God, uh, but the churches have tried to uh, become have become quite secular, and they don't want to be uh, outdone by uh, anyone um, in fighting Corona, and that is. That's why they supported Drosten and RKI, so they were actually uh, the pioneers in uh, demanding um, injections, vaccinations, etc. I think in this we have to see that the churches, the big churches, uh, are companies really. They operate hospitals, they operate nursing homes, so they are in business with the health system. And they are direct competition of the big stock companies. If it's Helios or Diaconi, they are competitors in the same market, and the church is 
connected with money here strongly, and that corrupts what the church is for. Actually, it's secondary interests that uh, play a strong influence here. Uh, I've talked to Bischof Ulrich in Schleswig-Holstein at the time and visited and discussed this with him because I saw that was in my times when I was a politician, that in the hospitals and the nursing homes, the financial thinking, the thinking of money and profit and uh, profitable investments uh, was just as strong as in uh, stock-operated companies. And the added value was then asked for by the staff, but the staff uh, was not even allowed to join the unions. So there are many things happened there which moved the church into a role of making money, really, and uh, being companies, profit-oriented companies. And now, if you go along with Corona, there's a lot of money to make. Just look at the IC units, IC intensive care units. There's 100 uh, euros extra if you get uh, Corona as diagnosis. So there's a strong temptation here. And the churches have moved in this direction over the last decades, really, and that is why their credibility has declined. Mr. Chanke, that's, of course, an aspect that the church partially, and I say, um, I gloss over the church. I know there are differentiations there. So the church is um, a business entity in uh, the health industry. But is that um, indicative of the fact that uh, the Pope was at the helm of the church and the nun that we'll see at the end with her short plea uh, who uh, caused the Pope to be um, the spearhead of evil, that this Pope should call for um, vaccinations and for a world government um, headed by the uh, UN. Is that enough? There are lots of different levels in this. As I said, the aspect of the social companies is surely going to play a role in the major churches. But most uh, free churches and the small uh, free congregations uh, do not have this, and they still play along the Pope and their uh, connection to the high finance. You see that quite clearly with a link up with Rothschild, Rothschild and so on. I think I'm a bit skeptical as far as these Vatican conspiration theories are concerned. But when I read that, I uh, tripped over something and I thought there should be something else or there must be something else to the role of the Vatican than visibly uh, apparently visible, but I try to stick stick with the facts and uh, the facts that I found indicate that there are many more things that do play a role that are quite abyss. And um, I don't think it's not alone material interests. Um, apart, they have the uh, refugees from uh, Greece coming, Muslim f uh, refugees. And uh, one would expect the Pope, for example, to prefer the uh, Christian refugees and uh, look at 
read these first, as they came from a Christian country. So this is something mm, that one should wonder about, and I think um, it's quite anti-Christ, um, and the, surely the Pope is going into that profile direction. Um, what explains the fact that even the collateral damage or the, the severe consequences of the measures are of no interest to the church, like if it, it was blind to them. Uh, not necessarily the fact that um, uh, people die after vaccinations or that they get very uh, severely ill, that's uh, uh, being kept down by the mainstream media, even though it's becoming ever more um, well known, because there's very few people who um, have no acquaintance anymore who hasn't uh, suffered from this. But um, the fact that particularly elderly people who have been victimized by measures, how can we understand that the churches don't speak up against this? They forgot the Samaritan. Uh, the good Samaritan. Should I answer? Yes, please. I think I think that the question applies to everyone, not just to the churches. How can it be that people don't see? And I see no other rational to this than other than it happened what the Bible have uh, said for 2,000 years, that uh, God um, will provide a power in the end to make people. So if you reject the truth, the truth in the sense of Christ is uh, given away by God, and uh, God will, if necessary, necessary, take an active role that the people are so much uh, locked up that they uh, fall to the simplest and most stupid lies. And this is a phenomenon that started in 2015 when we saw these uh, strong, healthy young men uh, style with their uh, cell phones and everything and saying they are refugees fleeing from war. Uh, so people didn't come suspicious at that point. You didn't need alternative media, you just have to look at the TV uh, to see that. And that time I had um, contact with an image consultant who thought about what to uh, tell the um, politicians and the journalists to, to see this. Uh, so, um, there were, if if there are biological, chemical um, things uh, to the human being, for me, it's the spiritual side of people that plays the role here. Well, because basically, um, if I get back to the many um, side effects, not only in Germany, but worldwide, um, People died in isolation, uh, children were severely damaged by this uh, mask um, imperative, the fact that uh, they couldn't see their grandparents anymore, um, the fact that they were uh, exposed to these tests all the time um, that uh, have no scientific basis, uh, just like the vaccinations. 
So I completely uh, fail to understand this or this um, stubbornness that you mentioned that you know from the time of um, the opening of the um, opening of the um, uh, borders. Uh, those are um, no asylum seekers, no refugees. Those are strong people. This narrow-mindedness uh, that people showed. Um, is that what keeps people and the churches who are there to help people from seeing the reality? Yes, it's exactly this narrow-mindedness uh, with the same mechanisms, which unfortunately do not only apply to Christians, but uh, in a very extreme way. So, uh, since Corona, um, in, in uh, other magnitudes, but the principle has been around for a long time. Now, what would you recommend your uh, congregation? How can they get through this? Or what can they do to change the situation so that the other side can be stopped? Well, I have to say, unfortunately, I have uh, not a very optimistic prognosis due to the Holy Scriptures. As far as I see, we are at the point that call that the Bible call calls Armageddon, um, the first and second return of uh, Jesus. That time is coming to an end. Um, that is the we are approaching doomsday, and um, there is going to be a public appearance of the Antichrist. Before that, um, um, in a physical way, that is a respective satanistic person and uh, manifest the evil in its ultimo, and there is no humane way to take and play a role here, um, but um, it can only be finished when the whole world returns and the Lord sets up his realm. Hasn't this uh, happened before? Wasn't Hitler one of those? Well, quite right. In my view, and in large part of the Christianity, this was shared. He was a prototype of the Antichrist, but he was not yet the person. There are a number of points. Um, of course, parts of the Christianity thought this is the case, but that was uh, too much focusing on individual aspects. Um, but we have to look at a whole overall holistic scenario, and I think these different aspects um, are now clearly manifesting since the emergence of Corona. It's global. The Bible says it's global events. Um, um, the Second World War was Europe, and in Europe um, it was mainly focused on Germany. Uh, Miss Merkel tried to show her a European way all the time, but in many European partners um, um, this was uh, not accepted. But now with Corona we see this is a worldwide issue. Even before, before there was uh, a Christendom, there were always megalomaniacs who, in their mania to conquer the world, uh, killed people, um, took them to misery, um, such as the Persian Empire or 
there were, there were always potentates who uh, were maniacal in their rulership, um, doing things that were very detrimental to the population. And of course, the question is whether this isn't something that's inside of people, um, and when things get when they get too big, they get these um, fantasies and that this power needs to keep growing, that it uh, grows itself to death and then something new arises. I think these mechanisms have to do with what we people can do and what we can't do, what we can design reasonably and what we can't design. There was a time where the human measure was uh, under discussion and I think this humility that we need to admit that there are no humans who can conquer and rule the entire world, even if they were the smartest. And instead, the people are so diverse that they need to organize themselves across the world and that they need to learn from each other that this is much more hopeful and that the different Christian congregations try to do that. And there are other um, religions who try to do that. And this has also led to the formation of cultures. They've led to the invention of new things, of new um, ways of living together that sometimes lasted for a long time. And I think that this model that we have um, the end of times now, basically, that scares me so much that I have to say, I don't believe this. And if I take an historic approach, then I find uh, consolation in the fact that these maniacal, megalomaniacal projects have always failed and that they were a process that destroyed a lot of old things but also uh, allowed for the rise of something new. So this can actually console us that things can and should move on afterwards. That would be nice, and I would be happy to uh, join you in that belief, but um, uh, I have my doubts whether the facts will allow us to do that, and the facts do not simply uh, follow what uh, comforts us and what not. But we have different perspectives, uh, different scientists, have given us their perspective concerning what is happening and what can be done. I'm still deeply convinced that one very important aspect of what is happening is psychological. Psychoterrorism in uh, on a scale unprecedented. And one of the professors of a psychology that was Professor Desmet from Belgium, um, who we interviewed, confirmed that it was psychoterrorism here, mass, uh, mass uh, hypnosis, a type of a new type of totalitarianism. Totalitarian regimes only emerged um, in the at the beginning of the last century. Before that, we had dictatorships. But totalitarianism is different, and it always tries to destroy itself. So my understanding is that the people in the background who pull the strings and all those who help them, all those puppets. Uh, will uh, th those the, the, the puppeteers will throw the puppets under 
the bus. So once they've done their job, they're dispensable. And that's why uh, Mr. Fossey uh, gets no support uh, for uh, all the uh, against all the attacks that are becoming more and more massive in the U.S. The same goes for Mr. Drosten. And if you say if there is no chance of uh, offering consolation, well, where are we headed? Well, comfort, yes, but uh, um, in the outside world, only to a limited extent. I comfort people saying it's important that you build up a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that will carry you through it, even if you get jailed and if you have to suffer all these things that Christianity had to suffer for many years. That's not going to be easier in the future. That's what I expect to come, but comfort comes from the comfort within uh, in our connection to Jesus Christ. This is what we have. For those who don't have this, I honestly have to say I cannot comfort them very much because due to the facts of the outer world in combination with what the Bible tells us, I uh, have little hope. I wish for everything else. And um, um, this is why I still think it's good one should do whatever it's possible, um, whatever may happen uh, with all the things that are going on, censorship and so on, switching off the internet and all of these things, which are against everybody on this earth. Um, it doesn't mean that I'll give up, but I personally see the uh, worldly and spiritual side of it that we are um, no, we have no way back, really. Well, I think it'll be a something new that will be different. I don't think that uh, these structures will prevail because, well, you may see it at a Christian level, but I think it's just human nature that people are born free and strive for freedom. And you can see that in children who fight for their uh, space. And I think that the core um, this human connection can't be killed stone dead, um, as you uh, seem to imply. Uh, Professor Desmet speaks of the difference between a dictatorship, uh, which creates a lot of stress, and as soon as you've uh, found an agreement with the uh, regime, uh, everything is peaceful, and then um, the dictator uh, maybe doesn't become a benevolent uh, ruler, but he, he may be a strict ruler, but he won't uh, terrorize his own people. If you take a look at the, at the definition of totalitarianism, it's a form of uh, rule, rulership that tries to uh, interfere in all aspects of life, trying to form a new human. And that is exactly what we're seeing. The health slave, so uh, people who have uh, parted with their freedoms by allowing their ID pass, being scanned left, right and center and adhering to all sorts of rules so that they uh, become ever more flexible as people and make them smaller and smaller and uh, using a, a corset where you have very little uh, time left because you have to deal uh, with those new rules all the time etc. I think this corset 
um, will be hard to force onto people, they'll try it. Uh, they'll try to uh, kick us while we're down with more violence, more regulation, etc. But I believe that the wrath, not a, a violent wrath, but the forceful will of people to live their lives to the full can't be killed. So you assume it's not enough that it'll only be possible to evolve on the spiritual level? Overall, yes, bottom line. I hope that we can try to suppress the evil for a while, maybe to uh, shorten um, its reign uh, until um, the return of the Christ. And uh, Klaus Schwab has made statements um, indicating that they're noticing themselves that time is running um, short for them, that they're making huge pressure with Corona not only uh, changing the rules once, but twice daily. And they seem to be hearing the step of the Lord approaching, um, and they see that time is running short. And we can try to make their rule as short as possible, but uh, that we should be able to change things fundamentally anymore, I don't think so. I think we it's more important to see how can we survive these times. So if I get you right, Mr. Chanka, you assume that there is going to be much, much worse and that we only, in inverted commas, can try to get through this as good as we can until something like a turnaround, the second return of Jesus Christ happens. Is that right? Uh, something similar is what a lawyer that we work together with in Canada, Michael Swinwood, has told us, not from a religious, maybe also from a religious perspective, but rather from a spiritual um, perspective. He has been working with the indigenous um, people in the Americas for over 25 years, and he's been visiting one of his teachers in Peru uh, some time again, he says, humanity cannot do anything, the nature is going to do it. Um, it's not what you said, really, but maybe that's the spiritual uh, correspondence to what you have just said in a Christian way. When I think various religions have been waiting for many years for their uh, savior, and uh, Christians uh, are being uh, led away from uh, Christ, but we can see that uh, across the uh, spiritual world, uh, similar recognitions, similar uh, knowledge has been um, passed down. They uh, come from very diverse sources that there will be a turn of an era and that we have uh, come very close to this time of era. Well, I think uh, we, are, we are on a different uh, way here. It, it could be 
that some uh, cathartic process may be here, Jesus may be coming back, that this will lead to a better world in a way. I would wish and I'd like to understand it this way. I'm not uh, so biblical, but I would assume this. And uh, so that would mean that in the end, that is what makes out human beings that um, this is uh, helped by Jesus or if what I um, would call it is a human uh, community giving rise to new structures which are better and uh, nicer and more livable for human beings. So I wouldn't see such a gross contradiction here um seeing it uh, from your theological point of view which is kind of a turnaround of uh, errors um that um this will manifest into a better community so it remains to be seen really it's interesting but i think what we all feel is that we are at a some kind of massive turning point historically which is accessible to us um, from the known history of the or bigger than from what we've known in the known history we are in an exceptional time really and that's of course going to have effects uh, which are going to be bad but in the end i'm convinced that it is going to turn towards the good i think a question is how fast will people awaken and allow changes to happen um so i i don't give up i don't give up well i agree mr chanke we can't be at the end of times. Well, I do believe that we are at the end of some time uh, because I've realized that over the last decades we've certainly gone in the wrong direction, only focusing on materialism, etc. My house, my car, my 43,000 uh, likes, etc. Uh, that was certainly wrong and to uh, measure everything in success and money anymore but it doesn't necessarily have to mean i believe that we run to uh, nihilism that we only can sit here and wait what happens i think that would be the wrong approach because we're here to do something rather than uh, sit idly by life means to live life to the full and I believe um, that uh, my approach and Viviana's approach is to use this end of an era um, as something that we can co-design, co-shape, so that we will have something novel at the end of it, a uh, way to, uh, for someone from heavens pointing their finger at us, telling us this is where to go. That would be a bit shy, wouldn't it? I think this is quite ambivalent. Um, I'm not just standing on the sidelines and waiting. That would be misunderstanding what I'm saying. And this is why I'm appearing here in the uh, session. But from the Christian point of view, um, uh, we have the Bible. It's not the case that it's going to be a one-to-one -one thing so that the human being the point is that uh, the human being will not be enough to do the turnaround 
alone. So biblically saying it is a spiritual development, what we see with migration, corona and all these things and the uh, evil, as I call it, is only the uh, front of the stage of uh, showing what's going on behind the scenes spiritually as the humanity has turned away from God. God leaves humanity to itself to recognize where it will get in its uh, turning away from bad, from God. And uh, this means the evil will grow. And unfortunately, this is an irreversible process. And this is why um, I'm not saying we give up um, and gradually work against this as long as we can. But um, if I'm not completely mistaken um, from the Bible, um, we will not individually be able to turn around. It's not uh, pessimistic at all. Um, so um, it says, uh, the, the Bible says, get up uh, as the Savior comes, and uh, that will fight the evil. And um, so a word from the Lord will be enough to um, send the Satan away and lead to a golden age. But the difference to the materialistic hope is that it's not us human beings who will lead to this change with all the means that we try for it. Um, we cannot uh, change this course of history. Um, the uh, main turning point will only be able to uh, do by the Lord. But maybe we humans can then um, work together with the forces of heaven so they can uh, reinforce each other. That's the way I would see it. Well, anyway, uh, it's very interesting, I think, this Christian interpretation of events, uh, because we all feel that, well, with the uh, vaccinations, I always get the feeling that uh, the recklessness that I uh, push an untested uh, substance into market and then make it um, approve it for and recommend it for children, for pregnant women and, and vulnerable people, and this um, uh, pressure for people to get um, vaccinations, or we really have to call it a, a vaccination mandate. If people either have to get tested, but they have to pay for it themselves and they don't have the money, then that is really an, a mandate. This is really brutal, a brutal situation because we don't, we're not dealing with a harmless, well-tested product. Uh, and we say, okay, you have to drink this uh, orange juice because it's good for you. That will be a different consolation. But this is where an incredible recklessness uh, becomes apparent. And if we close our eyes to this, then I can't really uh, say, oh, uh, I got the wrong, I, I went down the wrong track and uh, it won't be that bad, actually. I think that is evil to take this reckless approach. This can't be uh, just accidental. This is at least extremely, extremely um, reckless. Something is wrong here. I think this is obvious. 
Well, I think we are strictly out of balance, strongly out of balance. I uh, said a couple of times that the justice system cannot do anything because the justice system is always late anyway. But the evilness that we see here at the same time uh, with the cheek and the lies that we see here that all of us here think everybody should notice, they don't. Um, what we see here in terms of evilness and recklessness, as uh, Riviane has just said, that has to have consequences. I'm sure it will be, and uh, it will be severe consequences. But I'm also convinced that uh, at least uh, that's not going to be done by the justice system. The justice system can clear the rubbles away, but something else has to happen before and I think that is where we are on the same level that some kind of other justice must take place other than a material justice or did I get you wrong in that point well that's my big hope I uh, would say that many of these um, criminals uh, will not be held um, um, to justice by human justice, but they won't escape the heavenly justice. So that's my great hope that they will get their just treatment. And that has something to do with our sense of justice. And of course, that's something I've been saying since 2015. If you simply believe that it's a question of incompetence, um, and stupidity um, that is um, just misled i mean it's it's obvious that this is deliberate and as far as i can see uh, there should be no historical parallels there are always rulers who brought incredible suffering down on their people but the question is was that deliberate collateral damage or was it action that they deliberately uh, harassed individual parts of the population uh, not only parts of their population who, who um, were a problem to their rule but instead against their entire population and this is a world war which is being uh, waged by governments against their own populations and this uh, is a new departure that the rulers should uh, harm their own people in that way yes we fully agree I am always of I've been of the opinion more and more that the crucial step that we have to take and that has to be taken and that cannot be taken by a whole number of people is between oh god this is massive mistakes up to it's not mistakes it is just uh, evil um, that could be juridically looked at or the way you did it this the result is the same in the end it's that I am, just as you are convinced that the justice system is completely overwhelmed and as it's also strongly infiltrated, but besides this materialistic uh, justice, there is another justice that has to balance things out. Otherwise, I don't see any means to uh, make any sense of this turn of errors that we are at. So, Mr. Chanka, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Yes.
uh, we are happy as well. It's a very outspoken sight or, or view of somebody. Well, basically, we can say that uh, on the church side, there are only a few individuals that uh, uh, speak out similarly, and that applies for all the areas, politics, media, health, and justice. Um, and that's the reason why these few have to link up and network to make sure that this network grows. And even if it's in the end only, in uh, inverted commas, to help people who are thinking and supporting each other here, who are people who are thinking the same way. But I think the outcome will be larger. All the best for your work. Thank you. For you too. Okay. Now we have live with us Mr. Ged Koshat and Mrs. Sabine Fischer. Both of you are activists of the free left. You, Sabine, are a uh, teacher, and you can say something about Corona from the left uh, side in Germany. This is uh, usually associated with uh, Antifa, but this is not the case here. You can say something about the increasing gap between rich and poor. What do we have to see here? Well, we first have to see against which background the Antifa uh, left has formed. If you took a look at the demonstrations at the beginning of last year, then somebody who came from the peace movement of the 1980s uh, felt at home because he met the same people he had met uh, previously. It was the same people. Nevertheless, all of a sudden, uh, the whole thing was cast as right-wing in the media. That was, of course, nonsense from day one. It was only an attempt to discredit the whole thing. And against this background, some people said, OK, we can't uh, have this. Uh, we can't allow this impression to uh, stand. This is just not true. And we started to create a cross-direction um, um, movement from uh, left-wing um, communist to social democratic. Um, and we can see, of course, from the left, basically, that there has been a restructuring of society for many years uh, towards a, let me call it, a dictatorship of capital or dictatorship of corporations. Over the last 30 years, where uh, business has more and more influence, where lobbyism is becoming more and more important, but where people are being forced and pressurized uh, increasingly. Uh, for instance, a single mother can't survive uh, unless she holds two jobs. When back in the 70s, uh, we had what we might call a, a gulash capitalism, where you had some social security, where children could grow up with some uh, sense of social security. And this has changed dramatically over the last 30 years at least. Probably it started a bit earlier. And now this virus comes along. So here comes this virus, and from a left-wing perspective, you say you have to see what is the uh, social background that this virus acts on, how it is uh, 
instrumentalized by the people who hold positions of power here, and that leads to some criticism um, against basically the social structures, uh, against lobbies and by the pharmaceutical groups uh, that they have an important role to play. We know that WHO is financed by oligarchical uh, structures of the pharmaceutical industry, and we have to see this. And what you also have to say uh, from a left perspective, people are not happy with this social engineering that's happening here, this restructuring. Uh, there was a survey in 2016, for instance, which term is more positive in Germany, uh, capitalism or socialism? And 70% of people have a more positive uh, connotation with socialism than with capitalism. And socialism uh, is what people see as social democracy. They don't uh, believe that social democracy represented by the Social Democratic Party doesn't exist anymore. And this mood in the population, which uh, is against this capitalist restructuring of society, has never been picked up by politics. It never, there has never been a coalition uh, between SPD, Left Party and Greens, even though they had a uh, majority in Parliament. And in an interview with Mr. Young, it was uh, he said that both at the SPD and the Greens and the left party, there were networks in place that consistently prevented this. And so this society has been transformed. And what we have now is a society where um, media, highly monopolized uh, media, and of course, the uh, watchdogs um, are also um, staffed by politi uh, politics. Um, educate people um, in the right uh, direction, put fear into people, and of course, people are economically extorted. So um, either you get a vaccination or you lose your job. That's of course, blackmailing, extortion, uh, which capitalism has always used, and it is reaching levels where you have to be careful that if you don't take immediate action now, and if we don't stand up now and do something against this, we will very soon wind up in a capitalist dictatorship where humanism plays no role anymore. Uh, human rights, um, compassion play no role anymore, and the government only has the role to defend the rights and interests of the powerful and rich. And that is something we want to oppose, and that is why we established our organization. Well, you just said that this, if 70 percent, I, I don't remember the figure, it's a clear. It was a clear figure, uh, a clear majority. I'd say if 70% of the people think socialism is a term that is more positive than capitalism, then you said this uh, wasn't picked up by politics. Um, apparently, there was the opportunity to have a so-called left. Uh, 
uh, party uh, consolidation, um, but there were forces in all parties to stop this. What was uh, behind this? I quoted Marco Bülow here, I have to say. I can't say from the outside, of course, how this happens. I was a member of the Green Party until last year, and what you can see is that uh, think tanks uh, play more and more of a role. Traditionally, of course, um, financing uh, plays a big role for the uh, parties, and the Greens get uh, money from uh, the metal industry or BMW. Um, and those are, of course, uh, questionable things. If you get monies, um, then, of course, you can have taken influence on uh, development, some things. Maybe, is this, or could this exactly be the same people who actually um, benefit from this capitalism, which is rejected by 70%? At least in its way? current shape, yes, yes. Well, there was something else, there was a better model around with social uh, market uh, economy. Um, but the people who stopped these alliances, because they were in the Greens and the left and the SPD, there's nothing left of this. You listen to Catherine Kuhnert and think, well, rhetorical speak and nothing there. You see that with Baerbock. We, is these installed people? We know Baerbock is installed from the WEF, from the Young Global Leaders Program. Is that clear or can't we say? I'm always careful when I say somebody has been installed. It always sounds like an, a big brother who's uh, all-powerful, I think it's more, much more trivial. You're socialized in some way, then you study at university, then maybe you uh, don't get any uh, public subsidies, you need to live off something, so you get money from a foundation, and this foundation represents certain interests and you are uh, socialized in a certain way and this just um, continues and then at the top uh, people reconvene who have been socialized in a similar way maybe met each other in such a program um, in the past and are then connected with uh, similar people and so this um, continues piecemeal but that's why I am careful in calling it insulation. It's not like somebody is pushed into positions. It's a very, an almost daily and uh, not very obvious process. It's, it's a hidden process, really. These things don't happen from one day to the next. It's 30 years of neoliberalism that we are looking at. It started with the sell of the DD, DGR, GDR, with all the companies who produced great stuff for us, selling to the West as well. They were just uh, killed off, and the banks, and uh, we um, they got uh, state funding with extra money. Um, so, at the time it started in America and England, it was what started in the 80s, and uh, in Reagan, for example, 
So at the time, it wasn't possible to implement it. At the time, the government, the state was not there. But with the GDR, it was quite clear. And then in the 90s, uh, with Yeltsin, uh, where the oligarchs um, had their party and the West came in to get it all um, until Putin came. And then there was the um, turn around and um, he looked at the group, the corporates saying you can do capitalism, okay, but you pay your taxes here. And uh, so these are the aspects. So it's a slow development, really, what has been. And the development also means that the respective network has to be uh, installed. Uh, the uh, foundations are one and the education system is another. So you train the people and if you look at these young global leaders, um, you're not called by someone. You can get in there, you can say, look, I want to part, take part. We heard that by Ernst Wolf. Who, yeah. Exactly. And uh, then the question is, who is accepted? And if you're accepted, you're, you're the one who are on the line, in line. So it's equals meeting equals <clears throat> but if i do this if i apply with the wef um if i am a figure like this klaus schwab and i uh, go along with these people can i excuse that by saying i need a stipend i need a grant i needed the money uh, does that limit you intellectually uh, so you can see what you're well, you know, they have benefits. Um, it established step-by-step uh, step all the scholarships. And so, of course, that attracts people. They go there and they are moved in the direction. It's not that somebody at the top saying, now we have to do it this way. People emerge and evolve together. And uh, then right to the corona crisis that has been pointing towards uh, the foundations that are established uh, with government funding, they do it to save taxes, and then the big corporates join up. And um, at the same time, you have the platform economy that grew digitization. Now they're getting on. So it's all corporates, really. It's monopoly corporates, really. So they are the ones who um, push the people who are uh, trained by the WEF. Yeah, yes, because the big people, BlackRock, Larry Fink, they, they are the ones that we see at the top only and not so often either. So there's herds of people around them who benefit from this uh, in that uh, realm. And again, there's more and more and more. And at the bottom, it's the small student uh, who get their scholarship in America, whatever. Um, the, the, before the students took their um, backpack and uh, traveled the world. That was the 80s and the 90s. We were not coined that much. Um, I studied at the Free University. There was no notes. It was a left uh, idea of freedom. It was coined by social democracy. And now what do we have? What Turner? We are kind of a pool for everyone who um, wants to uh, go to the parties that, that, that don't identify with the parties that are so-called left parties now, who have moved to the right, I think. And the big uh, breakup was in the um, 1990s with the war in Yugoslavia and the ending of the social state. The uh, pensions were cut by 25%. That's pure neoliberalism. Well, my understanding when you said, okay, it used to be better and the 
last uh, three decades, uh, we see it the same thing. Uh, things went wrong. Neoliberalism is what we can call it. It really started um, in the Anglo-American uh, financial sector, the Big Bang. Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan were responsible. They destroyed it all, what had been uh, established after the first real big world economic crisis uh, in 2019, uh, 2009, uh, where banks were separated. So the private banks and the investment banks uh, were no longer um, under one roof because during the first crash, the private banks or the investment banks uh, used um, used up the uh, the savings of the uh, private um, savers, um, and that was a big bang. There was uh, unfettered capitalism, and people saw this. So there was the opportunity um, for a while uh, that the people who criticized this, uh, the 70% that you mentioned, who could have gotten together, but always there were uh, forces to prevent this. That was why my question was, who are those people? I can only see the people today uh, that I can see today. And I look more closely at what's happening in uh, the context of uh, what Ernst Wolf told us and other people who know more about the Great Reset, those were all people who were inst uh, installed. Of course, nobody said uh, elect, uh, vote for um, Justin Trudeau, who knows nothing and doesn't have a, a, a proper education, or uh, Ms. Baerbock, who's the same. Uh, but they were served on a silver platter, basically, so that many people, um, and I know some of those, who said, okay, she's not that bad. It's an alternative uh, to Ms. Merkel, but they didn't come out of, uh, by accident, it's not an accident. That's why I call it installation. Well, just if you look at Miss Berberg, the way she presents herself, uh, her um, mishaps and all that, her CV, she looks beautiful, smart, green, and the young people, we all want to protect the environment. That's something where we all would agree, but if you don't look behind the scenes, if you see what's behind it, uh, climate change and these things, what does these uh, parties stand for? It's not for the small person or the social state. You've uh, said uh, free market economy, that is what we had before. Social market economy before a single person could uh, feed a five-member um, uh, family, and today two can't and uh, is have a have a holiday. So uh, people are uh, exploited systematically, and so we then we get these all these buzzwords: structures, uh, structural reforms. Uh, salaries, side costs, and what does it end up? It's always with money. The money has the power and can launch, launch it. And uh, Schroeder Fischer at the time, um, uh, that was not by the people that they moved to the left. Everybody was happy, okay, be more left after coal. But we clearly know that um, Schroeder and Fischer went to America before, and there was the big PR machine saying, okay, we do your advertising and then they, he was in the spiegel and the big campaigns and all of a sudden everybody was great and green and what did they do they did the deal beforehand that you have to enter the yugoslav war half a year before they went there they did the deal and um 
I, we they said okay we'll give you the uh advertising company i don't remember it's their name but for that you have to join the war uh and that's what happened and uh, so then fisher was uh called off because there were quite a few of these old people that founded the green party in the 80s uh they started uh saying no violence social basic democratic so the, this oh it's it's a vaporized not even ecologic um so and then during the uh, yugoslav war why did these two participate and um during the Iraq war, they didn't. Well, in the Yugoslavia war, it was to sustain power. That's what they sold, how they sold it to the green bases, saying if we want to do changes, we have to make compromises. So that's always the reasoning um, with the coalition discipline and uh, coalition pressure as they have in Parliament saying, so, okay, you have to take the bad uh, ideas in. Uh, worked a long time with the bases, but the question is, where does it lead to? And the question, why not in the Iraq war is something I can't fully answer. Well, well, I'm not convinced now. Well, to assess this, I think you should have to have been behind the closed doors of the parliament. Did they really sell their soul or didn't they realize what they were doing or did they notice and then tried to salvage rests of what they had been standing up for in the past? Well, it's always people, I think, who follow their conscious mind, consciousness. For example, one Schäuble, Schäuble um, had had his uh, candidateship in uh, Kreuzberg in Berlin. So he was very basic. And then the left, Sarah Wagenknecht, uh, fell over now in corona crisis. So left uh, side, left people uh, from Alich Müller, Uli Gellermann, they, they ask if they are there. What is going on with you, you as an uh, old left? Uh, where are you? I think there's no final answer to this. From us, uh, Libya was another case. Um, other Western countries did take part. Um, I think only the the D-Linker, they voted for Afghanistan war for all those years. So, so what do they stand for then? <coughs> Are they only hollow, um, empty words, solidarity and workers, etc.? Well, I think you are looking at the range of parties from the SPD to the left. Well, it's uh, most of it is just shallow words. All this professional politics, if you watch it, you see they just uh, think in communication strategies. They have their advertising consultants um, getting rich with them. And of course, if you only wonder 
what do I have to say to have a good uh, response from the audience and their TV? Then, of course, all green ideas. And if you're in this, is uh, deteriorates completely, and it's a professionalization. And um, I think in the end, in these parties, you have a completely different set of people in it. In the SPD, there were it was a workers' party with a high share of workers being members. And if you look at it today, then you see many young people, at least I've seen this with the Greens, who saw the party as a career opportunity and um, who in their university education moved towards this um, and learned that you really have to say what others want to hear to get your grants and that in the long run leads to change in the parties and by now i do see it of course there are always uh, exceptions that's quite clear who for example well um mr wardock uh, for example and uh, i would look at mrs wagenknecht or mr lafontaine there are a couple of uh, people who stand up in the parties against these developments that they see but from my point of view it's only individual people and the vast majority um, who have mandates on the federal and state level i really think they are pro-capitalistic and they just uh, sing the song of the people who pay um, in this world. Well, if we take this seriously, and I do, I think I'm, I fully agree with you here um, that the rests, the lifeless rubble uh, who are being tested false positively, uh, oh, that's a real left one, uh, leftist, that they only work with uh, empty words to communicate strategies, only um, um, giving word bites without meaning what they say. Uh, maybe you saw an example, a video clip, an interview with Karl Lauterbach, the SPD health expert, uh, where somebody asked, is it true that in politics you, I'm just paraphrasing the question, that you can only uh, uh, defend your own interests without taking the truth into consideration? And Latva said, well, if you speak the truth, that can destroy your uh, your livelihood immediately. They, they forgot to switch the camera off in that interview, I assume. Well, it can't be more clear. Uh, just giving you one example of the uh, left uh, party programs, the party, the linker, in the peace movement, we see get out of NATO. Uh, we That was obvious in the 80s. And uh, so, of course, you're not for Afghanistan. And of course, you're against uh, export of weapons. But it's nothing radical. It's nothing standard. And radical is not negative. It's just getting to the root of the problem. And the real left content is adaptable has become adaptable and uh, we've met people on demonstrations and so on they tell us well the uh, who are active in the left and they ask what well what about corona and so on and uh, 
Well, they say, oh, no, I don't really want to say it's not really intended. And everybody looks at their topic, which uh, it's okay for them to talk about. And uh, then I go to the um, uh, offices of the parties and talk to the people for hours because I'm interested and I want to find out what they say about this. And they say, look, you have to really look at the problems of the people and solve these you have to talk to the citizens and they say oh well we're just in elections and so on uh, that corresponds to what you just said that we only speak in communicative uh, strategies and it's not about content anymore well in the internal discussions um, I can only talk about this from the Greens perspective it is it is quite open for them if i'm on a conference talking to a representative and he tells you well uh, over a beer he says well i can't do other than sell myself the medias the power of the medias i have to make sure that i'm elected again and my quota and so on and all of that and uh, of course if you socialize it the way it has been socialized of course it ends in a simple blasphemy and uh, with all our values which is left values in our case like peace like justice social justice and so on that are by that alone are killed off completely and uh, are deteriorated to shallow words uh, that sound nice and are good for quota and are uh, good to be repeated by the press, but quite surely only as long as um, fundamental social problems and problems of power are not addressed. Uh, so the media in the condition they are in are not going to start with a fundamental criticism uh, criticism of capitalism we have a press that is in the hands of corporates but really I, well i uh, think it's great to have a left-wing perspective for once i've also also been uh, socialized as a leftist my parents uh, were both left intellectuals, they uh, were academics, uh, my parents were um, engaged in the uh, student movements and during my economic study, studies I heard capitalism um, criticism at the Federal, uh, the Free University in Berlin and it um, showed uh, this disparity uh, to me that people, that, that the different um, access that people have based on uh, their wealth. And uh, the Antifa, um, which is pitched against the right wing there, uh, who really raise left-wing questions, i.e. the question, what about the collateral damage? That is exactly what it's all about, the solidarity with the vulnerable, the helpless, that really uh, should move us and to restructure the situation uh, uh, such that those who don't have a birthright of participating in society because they have a lot of money, um, that is something that we leftists uh, should be driven by and that the Antifa says that there's uh, criticism of the measures who say that the fundamental rights and the protection of minorities 
uh, now of course it's the majority because it affects everybody this consolation this is really what moves us and uh, uh, by antifa saying they're all uh, right wing not all of them but many say they're all right wingers uh, they basically uh, support the capitalist structures it's hard to understand i can see what has been said that uh, for personal um, reasons uh, people uh, mouth these uh, catchwords words without really meaning it uh, in order to further their own careers but i don't really understand how you can sell and prostitute yourself like that without seeing at the same time that you are basically selling off those values um how what view do you have the antifa well antifa is a label really it's, it's uh, not uh, not protected by any legal means. Everybody could call himself Antifa. I would call myself an anti-fascist as well. But uh, as you've just said, a traditional left fascism term would mainly see it as an authoritarian form of capitalism. So where something like human rights are completely uh, done away with and that the, where the capital uh, the the state is used to fulfill the interests of the capital so in that sense they are not anti-fascist at all um, if we look at where the money comes from that's quite clear and then you see for example that there's something the Amalia Antonio um, foundation which is funded by companies where you um, may wonder you say I'm left against this government against these uh, powers but I get funded by them uh, or if you if you look at it from the state of course there's uh, federal funds that uh, uh, finance themselves uh, and they uh, do some rallies, anti-fascist rallies and uh, look about the Kvedenka and uh, so that's you see that if you look at them um, who are the people and if you see these rallies you often see a lot of young people and a couple of elderly ones and then you wonder who they are and of course with uh, enough money and people who are willing to do so you these can be undermined and instrumentalized um, as left values in general and the term antifa is no exception to this you can simply use it instrumentalize it if you are ready to uh, provide respective money you buy the label well this there's this video by the French Antifa uh, those are people who call themselves French Antifa we don't know I don't know who they are really but they report um, um, they say um, speak very negatively about the German Antifa and they say how uh, can you uh, uh, say uh, how can you cover um, uh, the um, or, or defend the um, restriction of fundamental rights um, that is something that Antifa can't uh, stand up for well in the end that's probably going to be the point which is that we have to 
leave this uh, role thinking. I've said this before in that valley outside in California where we are. There's six families. Three are Republicans. We are nothing. And the other two are Democrats. And you can't see any of them. They're all far enough. Uh, uh, but we always had good connections with them. Despite of this political background, there's only the two-party system, the Greens playing a role. But despite of these political backgrounds, as far as Corona is concerned, they are uniform. And as far as the turning away from global structure, they are completely in agreement. They were on Trump's family. They, he wanted to get out of WHO, out of NATO, out of all that filth. And that was strange because, other than here, the political differences are not as explicit that uh, above them you can forget that you're American standing for liberty and freedom. But there is a Navy team, you know which one, a very uh, a camper from them is there. And he uh, stands for Trump's position, but they're left liberals who have moved to Costa Rica now because they don't want to bear that bullshit going on. They were in agreement. And I think this is what we have to get to. The values that you are just mentioning, what has become shallow words by now, is real values in the end originally, which are not only carried by the left friends, but everybody who is willing to open their eyes. So, yeah, we all should Pers be anti-fascist. Personally, I don't know anyone who, um, well, no Nazis, of course there are some, but uh, they don't wear uh, uh, the, the proper gear like in the back in the 80s. Um, but I see the opposite uh, trend in Germany as a left movement in Germany. We used to be agreed on social uh, security, state, etc. But during Corona now, um, they uh, don't stand together anymore because it's global. And uh, I felt the same thing at the beginning when they uh, said we'll have a lockdown, said they can't do that. And then I uh, did a bit of research for a few uh, weeks and um, I wanted to be to find out I might have been uh, mistaken. I still may be mistaken. That's my uh, conviction. There are so many uh, arguments um, that I believe I can't be wrong. So if, really. if the lie is big enough, nobody believes it. It's so incredible. And you kind of wonder uh, why don't the Russians and the Chinese go along and um, Mr. Hoiber didn't say uh, anything for the last few months. Um, now it's become so obvious that, particularly in China and Russia, they have capitalism as well now by now. In China, you still have the uh, ruling party, but in Russia, there is a, a strong uh, single party rule, Putin's party, and the state and the party still have a uh, a certain rain on the corporations, whereas in the West they do what they want. They take uh, the hijack, the state, the government, 
through uh, public-private partnerships, and they even say it quite openly. They're uh, not even ashamed of it. They say we have to get uh, the governments on board with the WEF. At the beginning, it was only the corporates. Then they got the uh, politicians and the uh, journalists, and now they uh, unashamedly, unashamedly say it. I spoke to a green uh, politician uh, for an hour before the uh, elections, um, went for an hour, uh, went on for an hour, and at the end of it I said um, very few people uh, are critical and um, ask you and how many people come to your election stands, etc. Very few come, they said. Um, and a lot of people say it doesn't matter who I vote for. Um, and. Uh, I said, take it to your party. People are really worried. I'm speaking on behalf of a people. Probably uh, for the people who don't vote. And, well, she responded, no, I won't do that. And I said, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? No? <clears throat> because that's not my opinion. I said, excuse me? What's not her opinion? Well, my corona uh, attitude, it's not what it's all about. You're a representative of the people. You're paid by our tax monies. I just explained to you in detail that I stand for a group of people who normally wouldn't even approach you. You don't know them. It's a large part, uh, number of people who have these worries, etc., etc. And it's your task to take this uh, to the party. And she said, oh, well, she realized that um, uh, was the wrong thing to say, but it's not her opinion. I think it's different. I, it's because of this brainwashing. It's all framed. All criticism is uh, right, right, Nazi, Nazi. And the weak people in the society don't dare to uh, voice criticism. You've got to be quite strong. You've got to be quite self-confident and know, have knowledge. Without knowledge, you can't get anywhere. Well, it really came across. She's convinced that she's right. There's no alternative. The others can't be right. And so well, if she's right. Miss Merkel is right as well. She didn't note that. They impose their narrative. All parties together, including part of the left party, uh, just like it's imposed on other countries, we determine what democracy is all about, and uh, then we, we uh, impose it on other countries. It's really incredible. So I do see that Mr. Chanke is thinking the right way. It is somewhat hopeless if I have to listen to all this stupidity. Unbelievable. Uh, so stupidity and cowardness is probably the root cause here. Well... A, a Christian worldview, as Mr. Chanka's, is of course subject to a certain determinism, and the left has a different approach. I'm not a Marxist necessarily, but Karl Marx said that the philosophers have interpreted the world differently, but what it's all about is changing it, and this is not a determinist approach. I just wanted to briefly say something about your last question, uh, i.e. the distinction between left and right, uh, whether that is obsolete now. I'm not saying that they are obsolete. I, I said they have to be overcome. I don't know. So the idea is not the other political side. I'm not talking about the other political camp. but. Those who voice left-wing positions, 
But if you take a look at the development of the NSDAP, formerly they had a very strong um, social socialist wing um, spearheaded by the Strasser brothers, but that was used only to create a power base among the workers. And after uh, Hitler came to power, the um, Strasser brothers were dead. Um, they were no longer uh, there. And that was what this was all about. So we have to be careful not to follow some demagogues who may cater to this left-wing um, longing of population, um, instrumentalizing it, abusing it, uh, because they have ulterior motives, such as I wouldn't, wouldn't cooperate with anyone who discriminates uh, against migrants. So I see a different problem there. Uh, I, uh, the question is, whether the migrant who gets my job because he works for less money uh, than I do, he's not the problem. The problem from the left uh, point of view is the one who benefits from it. That is uh, what it's all about. And people uh, on the right wing uh, tend to emotion to uh, use emotions here rather than questioning stru structures and I think we have to question those structures and you always have to look at who is the beneficiary of all of this and the right wing simply doesn't do that. Uh, the AFD is the best example that is an extremely neoliberal party in my book. Um, you can see it quite clearly if you look at their program they are uh, liberal, economically liberal uh, to the core. Now they may use the right rhetorics and they might use this uh, critical mood among the population against uh, capitalism, but I don't think they stand for it. That's what I wanted to say with it. I don't think it doesn't make sense to um, draw, withdraw into your camp, but you have to think across the different camps to see that the split up of the different individual camps is intended by the other side. You mentioned it is the global corporate structures and their leaders. Um, of course, there are people who play along, but they don't really play a role. The crucial thing is that we have to recognize that these structures exist and these are the structures that we have to fight. Uh, while we try to uh, discuss details here, more or less details or a quarrel about these things, we don't see where the real game is being played. And uh, this uh, game of global totalitarianism, that which is far beyond capitalism, that this form of global totalitarianism has to be fought. Well, uh, Rainer, um, um, if we uh, think back to the Bible, <coughs> see them by their deeds. Um, so if I'm uh, with the Green Party and I discriminate against uh, migrants or um, kicking uh, vulnerable people, then something is wrong here. And then this solidarity uh, agenda that I see in the party, uh, then this is false. And that's what we have to see. 
I'm completely opposed to right-wing. Um, it's, of course, difficult to define um, um, in uh, terms of discrimination, exclusion, um, and um, disrespecting human rights, um, uh, discriminating against people because of their color or whatever. Uh, those are things that must not happen. And I believe that if I um, admit these opinions, those are very important uh, things. We have to see that these labels out there no longer apply. And we have to look uh, at uh, the background and see what does this person stand for, whether it be with the SPD, uh, the Greens, the AFD, what does this person, this human being stand for? What does he do? What does he say? And if we can see he's on the right side in that he loves people and wants the uh, good for them, then this might be the right person to work with and all the others who um, talk about love of their uh, of their neighbor, but do the opposite, um, imposing vaccinations um, without proper testing first. Uh, there's something wrong. I have been through quite a couple of things in my time as a politician and as a member of the federal parliament. I saw that some people in my party, the SPD, were completely off the track. They did something completely different from what I would imagine this party to stand for and what I would understand as social democratic. I would think they should have gone to a different party. And sometimes I thought that in the other parties there were people who thought and felt the same way I did. So parting, being a part of a party doesn't really say anything about this. And if I now see Mr. Lauterbach, who was in the CDU before he swapped over to SPD to go to the uh, federal parliament, that he is someone who is corrupt anyway and who works for the pharmaceutical industry. And he just selects the party where he has best chances to develop um, and uh, help the people who fund him. I think that is quite obvious. And corruption is really what makes uh, policy politics very intransparent and uh, confusing. Because all the people uh, think that if this person in, is in that party, he's a good person, and if he's in the other person and the party, he's a bad person. But that's too simple. That leads to <coughs> us. Um, I was. Uh, running for office for De Basis, um, and we said in the electoral campaigns, we don't want to be uh, the parliamentarians be in list. We want them to be directly responsible uh, for their electorate. There can't be any people, any indirect uh, people doing a career and not caring about the electorate at all. This is what we see again and again, and that has to be done away with. Because it creates mistrust in the population, true, rightly so. And then um, there is financing and funding, uh, trying to uh, swap things. I think that's much too much influence here. I think that the people who are democratically elected to do the uh, laws, they should only be responsible towards the electorate and not towards a party that you know don't know where who is in it and what the secondary interests it is guided by. And that is very intransparent. And that 
that makes you tired of politics. <clears throat> we tried to do this. We did um, an alliance uh, red-red-green because we didn't want a great coalition. Um, that was uh, some people of the three, Mr. Manchia did that with Andrea Ypsilanti at the time and they asked me whether I wanted to join and this um, alliance um, kicked me out because allegedly I uh, did an, inter an interview with a right-wing journalist and <clears throat> I didn't understand it but the uh, woman who did it she's someone who is in the Amadeus Foundation and she's someone who uh, says right right uh, all the time and who does her all her career with it so apparently everybody is scared by her uh, or bullied by her one could say and this is things that uh, sounded like a witch hunt to me at the time uh, some people called me and the others said saying oh it's so bad but you talk to the wrong people how embarrassing they have been known me for years i've been one of the founding members it was horrible to go through this so um i i saw that uh, fear plays a massive role here and that some people are scrupulous in uh, defamations <clears throat> and that alliances are uh, made that don't follow open democracy and public um it's uh, career agreements and all these things are there in these organizations communication strategies and careers and um a lot of cliches and we can see this we are way behind schedule uh, we will unfortunately have to discontinue this discussion well we could probably continue for hours yes we could of course say a lot but i think we have said a lot and i think it's very interesting to talk to mr vodak um, I have been assisting you uh, since the first press conference every Friday. I'm glued to the screen. It's uh, very uh, encouraging. Um, you sit there at home and think you have to question and do you write? Are you, are you thinking right? And then I get here, I watch your sessions and I said, yes, we have companions. That's what we do in our group. Uh, we connect with other groups and for us it's very good and it's uh, very, it keeps, it keeps our spirits up. And that's what we need. And uh, it's not an apocalypse. We see it from a different way. If it is. So. Yes, we, we can do things and we have to do things. And we can't just sit on the couch and wait for things to pass. Ideally, uh, sit on uh, your sofa, um, eat chips, and watch this nonsense here. So. We have to make a eucalyptus from the eucalyptus. Uh, so, well, I'd like to thank you very warmly for having us here. Okay, so let's switch over to Rainer Held, who we've been having with us uh, last week. When I had the summary of Roger Bittel, I had slight difficulties. Um, because my understanding for figures and graphs is somewhat limited. But um, I think in the summary I could uh, nail it down. Mr. Holt, you're with us. And even though we are again delayed, uh, take, your, take your stage. Well, thank you very much for having me again. And from the world of figures and analysis, I would like to uh, give you some more 
results. I've prepared another presentation. I would like to ask uh, to share my screen. Can you see the picture? Yes, we can. And you can hear me well as well. Okay. Well, then let's not uh, waste any time. I'll get started. I have compiled a few things about uh, side effects of uh, vaccinations, uh, focusing on myocarditis and pericarditis, um, a topic that is uh, um, very much covered by the media. Uh, let me speak about the sources that we analyze and uh, I cooperate with a large team of great experts. Um, it's based on the European database of uh, suspected uh, cases, uh, the IMAP, uh, where almost all European countries uh, have to um, report their uh, side effects from vaccinations. So, um, all the national uh, data is analyzed. And as the data is published sporadically, uh, we try to compile it. And on this uh, site here, it says infinitewirkung.net. Um, That's where we uh, publish the results um, and um, tables with the data are compiled that are then available for further analysis. So. These are the types of uh, tables resulting. There are many, many individual symptoms that are reported, and in a three-week um, um, analysis, intensive analysis by uh, physicians and virologists, we have compiled certain um, reaction complexes that um, condense into certain diseases and we have various complications um, sorted by frequency. It starts with very um, trivial uh, aspects such as uh, pains or uh, flu-like illness, um, which isn't all that uh, trivial. And then uh, the ones that I've highlighted here, the uh, um, myocarditis, uh, pericarditis. And then on the right-hand side, we see how many of those um, phenomena um, uh, were present in cases of people who died. A phenomenon that is quite uh, obvious, if you take a look at the EMA uh, databases, are huge uh, delays in reporting uh, on the right-hand side, we can see this. The darker uh, the color, the larger the discrepancy between the national reports and the EMA figures. And uh, you can see here how uh, strong these deviations are between national reports and EMA reports. For Sweden, there is a deviation of 15,000 cases to 80,000. So they are uh, lacking 417% of the data that have been uh, published in the national reports already. In Germany also with a uh, reporting delay of 85.1% is not really um, doing brilliantly. There are some countries that have reported faster to EMA than uh, is covered in their national reports. Now, if we take a look at this graphically, we can see that between um, the uh, blue and the orange bar here, 
the deviation between the two reporting formats. Uh, overall, it means that uh, as per 8th of October, 645,315 cases have been reported to EMA, and the national reports that we've uh, individually uh, analyzed are 835,000 cases of uh, suspected uh, vaccination complications, it's a deviation of uh, nearly 30%. And as there is a, uh, a reporting obligation, we sent emails to Paul Ehrlich Institute several times over inquiring why or where those unreported uh, cases are, uh, why they're not uh, um, adhering to their uh, reporting uh, obligation because uh, the EU, uh, there's a EU directive that says that uh, cases have to be reported within 90 days. And as per 7th of July, there were more than 2,000 cases that hadn't been reported. As per 8th of September, it was more than 20,000 cases. And all of these um, inquiries have been uh, un remained unanswered. And it is a EU, an EU directive that the Paul Ehrlich Institute is violating here. Now we take a look at the data and see how many um, people with vaccinations have been uh, covered and how many um, vaccination uh, damages have been uh, reported. We can see huge deviations. Uh, in Denmark, we have 1.35% of uh, people who have uh, apparently suffered suffered any uh, damages. Uh, Finland is 0.11%, and it's not really plausible that the same substance, uh, active substance, should have such widely divergent uh, complications in one country than the other, um, like we have 10 times more in Denmark than in Finland. So we have a large number of uh, uncovered cases. Um, and, and of course, uh, such a uh, large number of, um, well, unreported uh, uh, figures. If we have a about 1% uh, of complications, 1.35% uh, complications, and in Germany, with 156,000 cases, we'd still lack about 125,000 uh, cases lacking, um, if we're guided by the figures uh, from Denmark. That's uh, only hypothetical, but um, we have to expect that there is a large dark figure here. And I know a number of cases who had problematic um, uh, developments and were not reported as suspected uh, vaccination damages. <coughs> so we backdated this by six weeks um, by the fact that there's always delays. First of all, the side effect only kicks in with a certain delay. Then there's only the second vaccination after four weeks, and then you can have a secondary or a second uh, side effect. Um, so we have two to three weeks here. Two times three weeks would be six weeks. So 
basically the data that we get now um, are based on the vaccination level of six weeks ago. That's a model that we applied here and we uh, use it across the board. Now, let me speak about the report by Swiss Medic, uh, the last one um, uh, from the 24th of September. The uh, vaccination damage reported here is at um, 7,571. That's 3.83 times more than the um, side effects of all vaccinations the last five years. So you can see that at the bottom line here. Um, it's the regular vaccinations of children against rabies, then uh, measles, etc. They're all summarized for the last nine years, actually, and they are 3.83 times lower than the total number of reports of this year. So, uh, 2,601 uh, 2, severe cases, 145 deaths. What's interesting is the age groups affected, and you can clearly see that young uh, age cohorts, 18 to 44 years, 45 to 64 years, who aren't among the uh, particularly vulnerable uh, corona victims, that they have a, a particularly large number of um, vaccination uh, damages. And I find it very interesting that uh, for those um, of uh, in the 0 to 11 age cohort, there's three cases already of uh, side effects, and in Switzerland, and that is uh, admitted, 268 uh, children in that cohort have already been uh, vaccinated once and 240 twice. The justification being that they were children um, of, with a particularly high risk uh, of a very uh, severe corona um, course. And it seems that a lot of parents are begging their physicians to vaccinate their children because they're afraid for their health. And with the deaths, it's interesting to see that there's this disclaimer uh, that these people died um, after a certain period after the vaccination. And despite a um, certain um, temporal association, there is uh, never any concrete uh, indication um, that the vaccination is the uh, cause of the death. Well, and of course, uh, to find out about such uh, correlations is the task of uh, Swiss uh, medic in order to clearly evaluate um, what the situation is in order to protect the rest of the population. So the interesting thing is that even the severity of the side effects reported, I have the Swiss example again, has significantly increased compared to the previous nine years. We had a uh, at 18.2% of cases that uh, were severe, and right now we're talking about 34.4%. Now, once you're in this vaccination program, the question is how big is the risk of the individuals 
for whom the vaccination is recommended to um, fall ill with uh, corona in the first place. I'm staying in Switzerland, and on the left-hand side, I have a graph that shows which age cohorts are affected here. We have the so-called second wave in the last winter, and it's the 80-year-olds who were by far more severely affected than the 70 to 79, uh, 60 to 69. It's just across the um, age cohorts very consistently, and the lower cohorts are a very low line here at the very bottom. And what's interesting is, of the 10,773 deaths, according to the report of the uh, Federal Office of Health, 98% had at least one um, previous uh, disease. The av uh, median age um, of those who died was 85 years, in Germany was 83 years, and uh, that of the people hospitalized was 67 years. And what's interesting now is that, as the media uh, are reporting, increasing numbers of younger people are being hospitalized, and you can see that on the graph, where suddenly uh, different colors take the upper, gain the upper hand in these two lower peaks. But I find it very striking that if now we're talking, above all, about intensive care patients, so if there is uh, hospitalization in the intensive care units of younger people with such a severe uh, disease, then there should be an impact um, to be seen in the death rates on the left side, and we can see that. So, um, and I deduce that these younger age groups are captured as hospitalized, but not necessarily hospitalized for corona, but maybe for other diagnoses. But based on the test, they are uh, um, covered by um, um, the tests and also accounted for as corona victims. Now, when it comes to hospitalization in Switzerland, in the medical statistics of the hospitals published uh, by the federal office, there is uh, an extensive set of statistics every year that indicates which diseases were um, decisive for hospitalization, the initial diagnosis, and in the past we used to have um, respiratory tract diseases uh, responsible for hospitalization, so we have uh, acute um, diseases of upper respiratory uh, tracts, uh, influenza, pneumonia, and acute bronchitis. All of these diseases that have symptoms um, specific also for corona. What's quite impressive, I find, is the enormously high uh, number of acute bronchitis that is responsible for hospitalizations in the age group 0 to 9 years. That certainly affects babies who get uh, bronchitis 
and uh, fall so ill that they need to be um, intensively cared for. Now, what's interesting is I looked into the statistics of uh, 2019 to 2019, uh, 2015 to 2020, and I added the uh, figures, the corona figures here. Um, you can compare it either with the flu only, or we can compare to the sum total of the uh, uh, diseases shown at the top. And you can see uh, the um, ratio that COVID has compared to respiratory tract uh, diseases in previous years. So we're talking about um, uh, age cohort hospitalizations documented very carefully in Switzerland. And if we take a look at uh, the flu 2018 or the other years, uh, we have 174 here uh, for this age group. And then we can see COVID-19 as a um, disease that is similar to um, respiratory diseases um, resulting in hospitalization over the years always what we can see of course is how many how much uh, bronchitis pneumonia influenza etc do we have alongside covid and unfortunately switzerland is at this point very uh, restrictive the death cause statistics for 2019 aren't available yet they are supposed to be published in November. So before we get the Corona data, um, death statistics for Switzerland um, will have to wait another year. Uh, it's um, about money, whether such statistics can be compiled now or not. So um, that's risk evaluation, age groups, uh, hospitalization for different age groups, uh, and that is not so strikingly high. And then, of course, you have to ask the question of how effective are the vaccinations. Uh, can I ask a question concerning the statistics you just showed? In the past, the corona infection always has been uh, uh, considered a uh, respiratory uh, disease. It's one of the um, um, causing um, pathogens for uh, influenza, and a subtype of the influenza now has more than uh, all the influenza cases together. So there, this shows that there's a redefinition here that things are lumped together that should have uh, or things are being separated here that in the past would have been lumped together under influenza so it would not be wrong to uh, consider a corona uh, infection now uh, with uh, fever and uh, uh, difficulty in breathing that this uh, be considered influenza rather than corona today. So the PCR test seems to be the cause for these high uh, figures. And the PCR test is positive for all sorts of uh, diseases. And they're all considered COVID-19. So it's an entirely new dimension created only by the fact that this test is applied. Absolutely, yes. Now concerning the protective 
efficiency of the vaccination for BioNTech. They claim a, a predictive efficiency of 95%. And the study was published in the New England Journal of Medicine on the 31st of December 2020. And this study is based on a cohort of 20,172 um, people in the placebo group and uh, the vaccinated group was very similar in size, 20,000 again. And then they measured how many of those uh, got infected. That's uh, the infection, um, however, uh, proved. And in the placebo group, 169 uh, got an infection and in the uh, vaccinated group nine. So in the placebo group, 99.16% did not get infected. And in the vaccinated group, 99.96% were not infected. So we have an absolute efficiency of 0.793%, which is the reduction uh, of the Oh, the, the increase of the um, infection rate among those who uh, got the placebo only compared to those vaccinated. So how do we come from 0.793% to 95%? Well, you simply ignore all those who weren't infected condense your um, observation to only the cases of infection. So you compare 169 infected people with nine uh, infected people, and then you have a reduction of 94.7% from 169 to nine. So it is anticipated that among this group um, of vaccinated people, if they hadn't been vaccinated, automatically 169 people would have gotten infected. And I think that is um, relative efficiency is an important value, which has um, a, um, a certain um, informative uh, value. But among lay people, uh, the impression is uh, created that if I get a uh, vaccination, then out of 100 people, 95 won't get an infection. But that's wrong. I have to uh, vaccinate 125 people before the first per uh, person actually benefits from that. And the other 124 statistically have no protection. They only are exposed to the risk of side effects. But that is a statistical trick um, which shows the efficiency of the vaccinations in a very positive light. And um, it's a, a good uh, indication for, um, or it's good, very helpful for petitions. Uh, I can stand up in front of the microphone and say, okay, we've saved so and so many people. Okay, we, we, uh, a few people died, but we saved so many others. The politicians then say um, in gratifying candid, uh, candidness that they're too stupid to understand this. Now, if I consider uh, that I'm, there was only one case among those who had uh, vaccine, not vaccinated and there was none in the um, in the group of vaccinated people, then we had an efficiency of 100%. And it should be obvious to anyone, even Mr. Söder or other politicians in Germany, uh, that this is pure nonsense. Uh, 
Yes, and the new studies are consistently made without control groups, which is complete baloney. And I can point out here that we created a control group where vaccinated and unvaccinated people can register uh, to document uh, the course of their infection or non-infection so that they are like a virtual control group in my family. Uh, uh, everybody uh, got vaccinated there and uh, I said if nobody uh, gets vaccinated then we don't have any controls uh, for um, uh, for the efficiency of any uh, vaccine vaccines can we say anything about the efficiency of vaccines without a control group no you can't you can generate beautiful figures but you can't make a, a reliable statement now concerning uh, the problem of the myocarditis uh, and then there's the um, pericarditis um, which is the uh, heart sac uh, inflammation of the heart sac now I have to take you through these figures, otherwise it's a bit too confusing. This is from the EMA database. Um, uh, we collated for myocarditis and pericarditis how often it uh, is, uh, how frequent it is for different age groups, at the top males, at the bottom females. And what's uh, quite striking here is that for the males in the age groups 12 to 17 years and 18 to 16 to 18 to 64 years, there are very high peaks, 356, for Biontech, 26 for Moderna, and in this age group we have 1,665 um, hospitalizations we're talking about here for Biontech and 1,144 for Moderna. Down below with the females we have 50 or 699 for Biontech and 297 for Moderna. So a striking difference between males and females. In the event, uh, in the case of deaths, um, in the context with myocarditis, we also have much higher peaks for the men in this age group. Here, only 18 to 64 and 65 to 84 years. Very high figures here. Uh, for all of Europe, 22 uh, is, of course, nothing uh, you would say, but every single uh, death counts, of course, um, if they were. Uh, injected without even having a risk. And again, the women are much lower uh, in this set of statistics. In all cases, Biontech is more uh, frequently represented than Moderna. I'll get back to that later. And with lasting uh, damage, this is abling uh, damage. Maybe uh, Mr. Voda can comment on what this is uh, in concrete terms. Well, with myocarditis, it would be a weakened heart muscle or uh, arrhythmia, so a dysfunction of the heart that remains. Right here uh, with the women, we have this uh, lasting uh, disabling um, for consequences are much higher with uh, women. And we can see that all of these um, vaccines are involved, but of course they're used uh, at uh, different, uh, in different quantities, at different frequencies. And 
Now, uh, Bild Zeitung um, titled yesterday um, is the vaccination stop for uh, under 30 year olds coming here, just like in Sweden, Finland, and Denmark. So they stopped it until a certain day X, I don't know when, but they don't didn't um, um, prohibit it in, uh, entirely. Uh, that's Sweden. Uh, Finland, we're talking about Moderna here. So that's where we stand right now. And the problem of myocarditis was already uh, known and discussed uh, based on a red hand letter, so-called red hand letter. And the report, uh, yesterday's report, and that's where Finland is mentioned, that's new. Um, the risk of myocarditis has been underestimated, particularly for young um, men and uh, male adolescents. And we saw it in the statistics, in the figures, that young men are particularly uh, affected here. And here it says, in Norway and Denmark, um, it must no longer be administered to uh, men under 30-year-olds uh, in uh, Sweden and Finland, not uh, to men under 30, sorry, in um, Norway and Denmark it was under 18-year-olds. And Iceland, there was something as well, um, I don't know where it is, I saw it yesterday as well. I looked it up yesterday, right. And the interesting thing here is that uh, yesterday on the 14th of 10 uh, of October in Merkur, um, there was a news item that um, one US state, uh, where was it, California, uh, Moderna is being suspended. Um, what's interesting is that back in uh, on the 19th of January, the uh, financial markets uh, warned against a, um, a suspension of vaccinations for BioNTech Pfizer. And uh, the warning was that the BioNTech uh, share could be uh, traded, could be compromised. So it's a business model in the financial markets. So now BioNTech is up front. So this is the so-called red hand letter, which was presented in July, where the Paul Ehrlich Institute warned the doctors uh, against myocarditis and pericarditis, not um, only with both vaccines, uh, Cominati and Spikevax, in uh, <clears throat> the, the most frequent occasions are in after the second dose in young men. So we had the warning here and they said there could be a cause, um, but still the conclusion is that the benefit of the vaccination prevails. So that means, however, that doctors have to watch out for this kind of problems and have to report it if they see respective symptoms. So this is again a summary of the 
adverse effects. So we have uh, Moderna being suspicion to be most problematic, but we did see that the other vaccines caused uh, myocarditis and pericarditis as well or at least uh, reported it. And here we looked at the number of people affected per million of vaccinated people. And uh, so after BioNTech had the higher figures, it is obvious here that Moderna is twice as high in uh, the rate per 1 million inhabitants. <clears throat> Three times as many, however, died with the others. Um, we find that here as well, yes, um, saying that we vaccinate much more. Uh, we have here the uh, influenza protection rates where myocarditis um, is one of the adverse effects. However, it was 0.053 per million, and here we are at 10.7.2. So I think that uh, an inf uh, a vaccination issue cannot just be looked at in percentage figures, because as soon as there is any mandatory and vaccination is not a question of statistics, and I think I have to estimate the risk on how people do I vaccinate without a preliminary risk, exposing them to a risk by the vaccination. That's the difficult point to judge here. So we've got the first database here from the US. And we see that all of the vaccines are concerned. So why stopping by Moderna and not BioNTech is a riddle which is probably to be solved or answered politically, if at all. <clears throat> so these would be the data that I would uh, like to present concerning the vaccinations. I did see there is more contributions from Israel. I've um, prepared two graphs concerning Israel, giving a, a situation, um, an overview of the situation, Germany, Austria and Switzerland, but I could stop here. We have to end, unfortunately. Um, we can carry on, but everybody else is so far behind that things are getting stretched a bit. Okay, so then on my behalf, I would uh, leave it at this. And of course, I'd be happy to answer questions. Reina, maybe we could just have a quick look at the chart from Israel, because we have Avita with us later on, if that's possible. Yes, let me just briefly open it. It's the next two charts. I, I missed this one here. This is the brief comparison on the influenza cases. <clears throat> but that's, this is Israel. Um, the number of tests is the blue columns compared to the positive cases here compared to the number of tests, which is the green line in the front. And we see the um, how the tests and the figures of the infections are controlled, and the green um, background is um, the vaccinated. So single vaccinate vaccines, uh, seventy point five percent. 
double vaccinations, uh, 64.8. And um, so 28% of the people are tested. And this is the COVID deaths, which are quite corresponding here. This is the second wave with a little lower figures, but clearly follow the test curve. So as far as I can see is that in the same time of the test cases, the death rates increase. Uh, normally, there should be a lap a lapse in time between the test and the um, casualties. Um, if both of them are identical, uh, that would mean that anybody died um, would have been um, positively tested. And that's, of course, a bit strange. So these are the two graphs. Unfortunately for Israel, I don't have the figures, but maybe our contacts have opportunity to find this. Are the real uh, death rates? Because these cases of the COVID uh, don't really make sense if we can't compare it to the overall figures of deaths. Maybe somebody could contribute from Israel. Okay. Yeah, that will be my part so far. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Held. I think now we have to get catch up with some time talking to Mr. Johann Geiswinkler. Mr. Geiswinkler, you please introduce yourself so I don't get it wrong and get you into difficulties. Well, um, thank you very much for having me on, first of all. Um, I'm very proud to be able to speak here in this high-profile round. Thank you. Thank you for that uh, praise. How did I get to what I do? Um, corona, COVID is something that I have been looking at in my second um, in my second life I am a tour guide in the mountains and that means I'm well acquainted with nature nature and that leads to a certain intuition over time and it's an intuition if something is okay or not okay and that happened to me in the COVID crisis that autumn last year I kind of got an uncomfortable feeling and then I started to look into the topic. I was a brigadier in the Austrian army at the time and I did commit the serious mistake um, that Mark Tain tells us. So is where do you see democracy by the freedom of speech and thought and the cleverness of not using both. And I did do the third mistake and gave an interview publicly where I asked to be tolerant and warned against negative developments of a possible civil war with the split up of society. And of course, I attacked the press at that interview um, by saying that sometimes 
they uh, talk about intentions then about information and that was enough um, to be a neo-nazi quite quickly so um, I provoked a bit and uh, <clears throat> so my whole environment and my career my life was killed off and here I am and of course I uh, had not, um, I, I uh, turned down my job in the army. So uh, my note here tells me that you were suspended for two and a half months, but apparently that is still the case. No, I was suspended for two and a half months, and now I have been moved to a project workspace. Of course, I uh, helped in this because I couldn't stay within my former function. By being called a neo-Nazi, I would have been a strain on my staff, and I couldn't have helped anything in my work. So I said, give me a different job. and. So now I'm uh, on a project workspace. But what you did is really you criticized the measures. Did you, basically? Yes, I criticized the measures and I warned that uh, if we carry on with the restrictions of our uh, uh, basic rights and our freedoms, that we will slip into a scenario that none of us wants. Did so. Um, the one thing is with the bottlenecks and supplies, civil war and the restrictions of the civil rights um, with a ferocity in the population or totalitarian military approaches, provocations by the state. Uh, what was the statement that you made? <clears throat> Well, if we look at the scenario of a civil war, from my preview, I see 11 factors that support this. In my area, I see that economy is slowly but steadily declining. We have strong breakdowns in small and medium-sized companies. We have more and more companies that stop because they can't carry on, and um, that's a strong unbalance. And uh, I do see the COVID lines here, where the uh, rulers have failed to counterbalance this. So now the uh, cracks have become trenches uh, across the whole society, across the whole, all of the political parties as well. And in the third, as a third point, we have the failed migration or integration policy. If I look around, I have to state that integration did not really work. There's three generations back. It's still isolated groups that live isolated in Austria, and they never got integrated or didn't want to get integrated. Uh, leave that open. We have the change of the climate, and we see that in the Alps dramatically. In my area, the weather has changed drastically. There is a strong natural calamities, although for the for nature is not a calamity. It's a catastrophe or disaster for humans. And another thing that um, 
worries me is that we see that the monopoly of power is privatized. We have that nationally, we have that internationally, and we don't know and how far these private security companies um, work outside of parliamentarian control. And of course, for me, that includes that more and more citizens arm themselves. We see the increase of uh, weapons uh, sales um, extreme, and we have a certain areas of illegality to fight terrorism where no laws applies, um, where um, possible criminal records are created beforehand. And we have the aspect of so-called shifting baselines, the perception of problems of people changes, and with that, of course, the proposed solutions shift as well. So in Zahel zone, for example, people get unrestful if possibly there is no food for a week or two. And here, and I've seen this, we've had a blackout two years ago in Austria, where I saw aggressions already if I don't have my, I can't use my cell phone for three days. And we have a generation growing up that is used to wear masks. For them, it is normal. For the genera generation before, it's not normal. And so we have a shift of perception here, and that bears a risk. We have a massive transfer of knowledge in a positive and negative way by the film industry and the internet. If we look at all these Netflix and Amazon films, the movies, uh, violence is cool there. If um, the good guy kills hundreds of people, it gives you a good feeling. Uh, you uh, are happy to watch the film, to watch the movie, and um, in the internet it's possible um, we, for any idiot to create damage. So um, you simply can buy your um, war equipment and or, or switch off a power plant or a power transfer station. And we have the uh, desire of the straight and the uh, big companies to control everything. And we are at a hinge point here. If you want to control everything, you can't control anything. And we see that this loss of control is notable. And from that point, we've got the vulnerability of the um, infrastructure systems. Blackout is a key word here. And the 11th point is that all these processes interact. And we are at a hinge point. We are at a tipping point. Are we able to turn this over, turn this round peacefully with mental discussion, or is it going to explode into violence? Well, these points you just made, the interaction of all these 
points with each other. Could they be summarized by saying there's a huge disorientation and destabilization at all uh, social and economic at all levels uh, that's happening right now? Do you expect this to be coincidental or do you believe that this is controlled by some body? Well, I can only give you my personal perception of this. At the beginning, I thought they are not able to do any better, and it is incapability. But by now, I am getting more and more of the impression that lots of it, large parts of it, are controlled and deliberate. If we can see at the core unities, family, family, community, municipality, associations are worldwide split up by this virus and the environment of this virus, of course that gives you the impression there is a plan behind mm. this. We have touched upon this plan already that can be read up, of course. Uh, we need to find out more, uh, many more facts, but it can be uh, read up. If there is this great reset, this, this plan, then all of which you just uh, listed seems to be part and parcel of this. We have to be careful because we haven't been able to look into things in uh, sufficient detail yet. We have to dig more, as I said. But if there is a plan, wouldn't one of the most important means to dissolve uh, society, uh, that these small communities, family, uh, municipalities, the reasons, etc., wouldn't it be an important thing to uh, counteract this by laying open this plan? I completely agree. This is why your platform is so valuable and this is why I'm so happy to speak here because um, uh, uh, taking a high personal risk, I think it's time to counteract and save um, what was our core of being before. And I see that in my own family. You can discuss anything but not this one topic because it's completely polarized it leads to aggression immediately and furiousness and working against this is the most important task at hand at the moment and from my point of view uh, if i say it once the first shot is fired the dams may break and if the dams break we know what's going to happen the last uh, century showed us quite clearly how quickly things can crumble away and the thinking of people changes that um, they accept that dictatory measures are taken that violence is a means is accepted and then the fact that the following generations um, be it whatever regional conflict civil war or regionally uh, restricted conflicts that the following generations will have a lot to deal with. Me, myself, as a family, we have not started the, we have not even uh, dealt with the first, neither the second, nor the civil world war, nor the civil war in Austria. We haven't 
closed up and uh, dealt with this personally as yet. And if we can't get out of this dead-end road, the next generations will have more loads to bear with. Well, from my point of view, that means... Mr. Geiswinkler, uh, that not only do we have to look into the last minute detail of the current situation, but also if we refer to this uh, old package that we're carrying around, we have to look at the historical context as well. Then we have to make ourselves aware of the fact that what we see here right now, as far as I can see now, is part of something that has been around for much longer. Yes, I completely agree. And um, we see this, uh, we are still lied to as far as the past is concerned. So um, we always say uh, history is written by historians, and that's people who weren't there present, who weren't present at the place. And so this is why there's always a political aim in writing history. Uh, so, how do I want to get the ashes from the past to the future, and what can I draw as a conclusion from it? Um, that's a business, and there are many examples, and uh, probably it goes back to the 30-year war, right to the antique times of the Greeks, where new findings turn up again and again. And so we find out, okay, the teaching was different in the past uh, decades from what's being uh, emerging now. Yes, I think that only the historic context, the, the wider context of what we are undergoing right now will open uh, people's eyes. If we only look at what we can see now, a lot of people say, as we heard it earlier in one of the earlier interviews, a lot of people say that can't be true. Um, it's globally people defend themselves uh, uh, at the same in the same way this can't be coordinated only if we expect this to be coordinated will all of this be plausible all of these 11 points that you mentioned can be referred to everything that's happening uh, in, else, in other places in the world, the US, for instance, except uh, that the population has uh, is much better armed. Uh, every individual uh, has more weapons on average. So polarization in society is much further progressed there. So in Austria and Germany, I'd say that um, it's more or less 70% on uh, uh, government lines, 30, 20 to 30% skeptical. In the US, it should be more like 50-50. And then also there's a high level of armament there. The crucial point, I believe, is what you called, uh, what you said as a uh, an expert, you're a military person. If this blows up and leads to a, a violent conflict, i.e. a civil war, then we really have a problem on our hands. So we have to stop this early by informing people, by 
der den Tatsachen entsprechend, aber auch dem Empfänger, den Menschen entsprechend. Uh, talking to people uh, in a truthful way, but also in a way that uh, is appropriate for people. Um, if I speak about medical information, for instance, you would say that a physician has to be informed in a different way than an uh, average citizen, but it has to be. We have to avoid violent conflict to break out because from what I see and hear, this seems to be the objective, a violent conflict where so-called benevolent forces can intervene. Uh, we save you. Uh, we have a European government because you can't handle it anymore. Second step, we have a global government since the UN, which has been controlled by the WEF since uh, 2019, as we know. So a violent solution, I believe, has to be avoided at all costs. Do you um, disagree? I completely share your view. Um, we're going to leave a massive burden to the following generations. Uh, but if I listen to the people and uh, if I look at some of the comments on the internet, then the language has changed. Um, two, three years ago, they said, okay, this politician is corrupt, politician is corrupt and we have to do something. Today, you hear things like, he needs to be uh, put in a camp, he needs to be shot. Um, this is ob uh, overtly discussed. Uh, in the in the in, with the people so the first thing that changes is the people is the language and then that bears the risk that this language le leads to deeds mr geiswinkler may i ask a question here i'm surprised here because what really happens where we're observing this uh, splits um, we have 30 percent who are critical and say it openly and then there's maybe uh, 40 or 60 percent of people who um, um, are silent and then maybe 20 percent who are uh, obsessively convinced that everything is right we have a lot of people who um, got vaccinated now where do you see, uh, if you observe these people who um, speak up candidly, um, well, if, um, if I look at the people who got a vaccination, they, I can't see that they say, oh, all those people should be put into a camp or should be eliminated. I don't see that at all with us uh, who are aware. I think they uh, tend to be very peaceful people who are um, desperate, but very few would uh, frame it in these terms. And I'm not really sure who is um, in those uh, discussion rounds. And if you observe this in the chats, well, I could imagine uh, that we can't be sure that these are really authentic uh, voices here, because it's quite possible in order to uh, create a more aggressive baseline, as you well, sometimes there are reactions, very aggressive reactions to our uh, committee meetings, but where you get the impression it's always the same people and it's uh, also a bit bot-like, uh, always the same wording. So I wonder the aggression that we observe, is that actually authentic? 
would um, expect such a possible civil war. Um, well, I mean, if people are desperate, if um, they don't have enough food to eat anymore, that um, people might become much more aggressive then, which would be natural, of course, and then try to obtain food um, any way they can. But I don't think that it's really based um, on their uh, fundamental conviction, at least with, with you two, with regards to politicians. Yes, of course, you're right. I just took this politician as an example. And I'd like to comment that first, I have been in the military my life long, and uh, that leads you to read signals in a different way. Of course, you have a certain perception and uh, we are trained to uh, expect the worst case and this is why we hear these things first so um, of course it is a coordination or an interplay of these 11 points and uh, COVID is only on point two leading to social imbalance and of course you're right if we take that as a base the feeling in the population and strengthen it with a blackout, with lack of medical um, uh, um, care, food, uh, loss of uh, private property, loss of my basis of life, that is what's going to lead to an explosive situation. Yes, exactly. I can imagine that as well. If people are affected in their uh, survival, actually, then, of course, anything is possible. And as a side remark, I uh, wanted to mention something uh, from the UK, um, someone who reported that the uh, shortages in uh, petrol supplies uh, were justified by a lack of 500 truck drivers who were missing, and that would have led to such an imbalance uh, where people uh, stocked up on petrol. I was surprised. Um, it was said that there were only 200 qualified truck drivers, uh, tank truckers uh, with the army, but really I kind of wonder why uh, wasn't it possible to uh, prevent this from happening in the first pl uh, place, mobilizing uh, forces that really it uh, uh, should be 200 people with a uh, an army of 150,000 soldiers and uh, a huge number of uh, reserve uh, staff. Uh, now the problem seems to have been overcome, but now there seems to be a lack of staff members in um, the uh, slaughterhouses, so pigs are now being slaughtered, are being culled, um, so uh, maybe they allow things to run their course rather than to try to intervene uh, in good time. I think um, it seems that these things um, you, you could, of course, uh, get people together while this person could um, be used here. He has a, um, a trucker's license allowing him to, to drive a trunk, a tanker, etc. But that sort of thing doesn't seem to be happening to avoid the problems that you mentioned. Well, maybe I can comment this uh, military aspect. The army of the European Union have 
the they have walked along the globalization so it's not the uh, any military that is autonomous on their own but they have outsourced many things and uh, that means many abilities have been taken away from the military so it's not as easy for a military to operate immediately in a blackout scenario and help because the money and the means and of course the mindset is not there does that mean that many supply structures that originally could have been insured in the regions have been uh, outsourced uh, by globalization to the point where regional uh, forces cannot supply this anymore. I was always wondering, we had this uh, flood in Ahrweiler here in Germany. I was wondering, are they too stupid to handle it anymore, or is this intentionally, but it could be both? Well, I don't, can't say um, for Germany whether it was intentional or not. I can say in Austria, I don't think it was. But, uh, of course, we had lack of means that would uh, uh, enable us, um, because we had to buy Wellingtons for the soldiers who didn't have any. And these things have been simply uh, cut, and now we pay the price for it. And uh, the autonomy of the soldiers' uh, barracks um, have been left because um, the civil societies, civil supplies uh, were used to operate them. And of course, in this kind of situation, that is a boomerang. Well, the thing with the violence, I think you have to see this in a way. I think it was a number of, I think, politicians mainly who uh, played with the fire sometimes. I think, I don't know if it was a politician, someone who I remember anyway, in France, um, in the media, I think the uh, boss of some media or public uh, media monitoring authority who said in a talk show, apparently he uh, freaked out, apparently maybe that was just a uh, camouflage uh, saying saying that um, the people who don't want to be vaccinated have to be thrown over by two policemen and vaccinated and even some of the people look shocked but that is not a singular case there has been a number of these cases and in my opinion i think the people who are on our side who are in inverted commas awaken and understand what's going on, who are peaceful, because they know that is what the other side wants. If it's planning this rage reset, then we have to be aware that, or vigilant, that this individual, as I think conscious tries, deliberate tries, um, that the spark um, falls into the straw. And uh, uh, then once things start exploding, we'll lose control. I understand that Vivian says, uh, it's all quiet on our side and on the other side as well. Yes, in France as well. Uh, vaccinated and non-vaccinated people go to a rally together by now. But we must not forget that there is this temptation and this 
uh, try to um, trigger violence. And I think it's important that we know that this is the case. Natural disasters, civil wars, pandemics, these are the ingredients on the basis of what one can say. Oh, look, in your in your regions, your national states, you can't handle it. Let's do a you. Miss um, von der Leyen is the boss of everyone, and then the next step it's going to be the UNO. And I think under this point of view, it is very important to be very clear and aware of this trials. That's quite obvious. We have to be really careful here particularly um, from the government side, because bottom line, what's happening is we know uh, clearly, well, us being the people who want to reinstate our fundamental rights and the, um, the state, we know we have no weapons, no army, we have nothing, even if we are a large number, uh, just stand uh, someplace. If somebody comes along with uh, weapons uh, toward advancing on us, we have no uh, chance. So inciting violence makes no sense for us. We have no chance. But if I have uh, weapons available and police and an army, then it does make sense. Because then if I incentivize a violence and get people to get violent, then of course I can engage in uh, anti-terrorism uh, measures or other measures to, to curb down this violence. And then I'm, of course, uh, on top, uh, because then I can suppress anybody who is trying to voice their opinions, uh, exerting their right of opinion, because they are such terrible terrorists, and I can uh, immediately stop them. So I see this is a huge danger. Um, and that is probably the same people who pushed this uh, pandemic now, who would, of course, be indicted if all of this is over and we can see what they did, uh, that it wasn't evidence-based, etc. Um, then, of course, it's obvious that uh, they're at uh, great risk and uh, we have to see um, the danger. Uh, Marcin Lejeune, who said certain things, and I can't see that there is a radicalization or um, any such thing on the part of the uh, demonstrators, but on the contrary, it's uh, there is increasing aggression on the part of the police, not the police itself, but obviously the uh, commanders in the background who uh, ensured that uh, the police be a bit more robust. Um, and of course, that wouldn't happen. If you didn't want that, you'd tell they, um, the policemen be cooperative, be friendly, etc., because they don't want to be uh, subject to um, disciplinary action if they were over-aggressive. So I think that this is where we have to be careful. And I think we should always keep that in mind and say it openly everything only peacefully and friendly, hard in our criticism, hard in our statements, but anything else is absurd. And I don't see that anybody wants us to do this. Yes, I completely agree with you. This is something that we have to counteract, but uh, 
I have uh, had my own experience that uh, uh, uttering your opinion makes you a neo-Nazi. So uh, something that is peaceful is made a neo-Nazi um, manifestation. And the medias do that. It's just the intention that is communicated. Many, many people, in my view, simply believe what is published in the mainstream media, and they see that as truth, and they are not ready to look uh, at it. Uh, if we look at Corona, for example, there is the pros and the cons, and there's going to be radical elements in both areas, so there's a risk from all sides. And with that media landscape that we have at the moment, I do see a big potential of violence, of readiness of violence to grow. And we must not forget that we have lots of uh, sleeping conflicts from the history in Europe. Uh, not looking at the Balkan that concerns Germany and Austria as well, with old things that have never been addressed properly. And of course, it may happen that in the course of the situation now, um, some things are brought up from the seller, instrumentalized, and then leading to exactly what we don't want. From my perspective, based on uh, my discussions with the Austrian colleagues above all, the situation appears to be that uh, the legal system uh, seems to be working much better than here. Our colleagues there are much more successful than um, our legal efforts have been here in uh, Germany. Uh, the problem seems to be that uh, they uh, they don't care if courts of law uh, decide the PCR test doesn't say enough. You can't um, stop a demonstration on that basis. Is that uh, changing now that Mr. Kurtz had to resign, or is he still on the sidelines orchestrating things? That is very difficult to answer. If we look at the facts, um, from my gut feeling, I would say it's exactly what you have just indicated. It's by far not the end. It's going to take, and justice will have a lot of work to do. I have great trust in the Austrian justice system. I have my own experience. And um, in the investigation when I was made a neo-Nazi, I was... Uh, I was. I saw that uh, um, the um, secret services and so on were instrumentalized, but the law, um, the ju just the courts found that this is completely null and void. Although, um, and that strengthened my uh, trust in justice. But you know what's going on in Austria. Um, as far as the corruption and uh, economics um, attorneys are concerned, what pressure they are under. So it's a long way to go until the situation change. Um, Austria does not have a governmental crisis, it has a politics crisis, because over the decades we have seen structures emerge that have been manifest in all uh, parties. Um, one hand holds the others, helps the other, and that is what is breaking up now. But uh, the politicians 
In Austria are, of course, much uh, clearer and tougher in uh, the words they choose, not violent, willing to use violence, uh, but uh, clearer in their statements, as Mr. Kinkel and Dagmar, what, I forgot her name. Mr. Durakowicz. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, quite impressive because it reflects um, their statements reflect what we think. So it seems to be fact-based. That's not emotional outbreaks. It's all fact-based, what's coming there. And it goes way beyond what we can see in politics here in Germany. And that is why I got the impression, at least, that Austria is much further than we are, both legally, legally and politically, because the uh, debate has been held publicly, which they still try to uh, cover up here in Germany, even though they use the same means as soon as you criticize your right-wing, right-wing Nazi, Nazi. But if you say this is a much bigger crisis, not a crisis of government, but a crisis of politics, then that probably applies to Germany and nearly all other European countries. And then at the end, um, we're probably talking about a social crisis that covers, uh, that uh, encompasses everything the entire system needs to be questioned yes uh, yes and we see it every day um, um, looking at the established parties all of them have uh, taken their benefit and now the system is starting to erode and maybe all this COVID has a good thing in the sense that uh, we see the breakings breakages and the cracks but still um, the cracks go beyond the uh, party lines and left people start talking to right people, finding a common topic, which they all agree on. That's a positive development, really. That's what Wolfgang Wodak uh, said earlier. We have to overcome the artificial lines that have been created. The Americans say you have to cross the aisle, um, so think and act across partisan lines, and I think that is the solution. Uh, all of these, um, well, partially artificial, partially self-imposed division lines have to be overcome. And we have to talk about these facts together and then come to a joint conclusion. That is something that I, I uh, think is foregone conclusion, what we'll find here. But that's because you and we have been working on this a bit longer to find out the facts. Um, I can only repeat myself by saying that I always had a, a weird feeling with my legal action, and I wondered how is possible that a, a court of justice and another one and another one is so stupid that they believe what Deutsche Bank is telling them, all that nonsense. Nevertheless, uh, until uh, Corona came along, I uh, listened to ARD, ZDF, all the other mainstream media, I trusted them. And that this has become purchased reporting is something I only understood with uh, Corona. I uh, take it that you have been more suspicious for a while because as a mountain guide, you had different instincts that you developed. Yes, that's true. I can only underpin that. 
Well, okay. Well, there is movements going on in Austria. I think Dr. Brunner is involved in a party. They got 6% in a, a state uh, election. Uh, Bulgaria has another uh, party that got 20% off the cuff. Um, and I think uh, there hasn't been a government formed yet because uh, there is no no final majority yet to be found, but now in November there's going to be another election, and it's going to be interesting to see what is the, going to be the outcome there after things have developed further, and uh, the EU is pulling up the screws of the thumbs. I think they had the lowest uh, uh, in uh, vaccination rate. Where is that? Twenty percent. So where is that, Viviana? Where, where? Uh, Bulgaria. Bulgaria, okay. What's that? In Romania, we're going to get more information that the government was uh, thrown over in a, a vote. Uh, so we have to look into the background of that. We are creating contacts to get into that. Well, we'll have to demand that the uh, new groups must not work the way the others did. Uh, it mustn't be about uh, positions anymore, about funding, about uh, nepotism. We need to find a way back to more democracy. It was mentioned by an earlier speaker that these representatives should be directly elected, not appointed by um, parties, a lot of work needs to be done. And the fourth power, the press, should think really what their real job is. Exactly. There may be some upright people there. I know of some because I ran into someone from the NDR, a German radio station, in on a, um, a train station the other day, and she told me her uh, that it's impossible for her to work because the atmosphere is very poisonous and she's not alone. There is a few, but there are some uh, working in the media who would be ready to come back to journalistic standards and uh, get away from this uh, inadvertible journalism as we see it now. But I think we have to pave the way for it because as long as people think they are at a risk, if they come forward and speak publicly, they won't do so. This is why we have to make sure that all the facts that are available are out there for more and more people to start looking into things. At the moment that people start asking questions, the other side has lost. I agree. And some people in uh, positions of leadership need to take a risk. Um, yes. And this is why we are so grateful for you, Mr. Gerslinger. So, uh, let me thank you for your courage, although you are somebody who um, is not very fearful anyway. Maybe not because of your first, but also secondary profession, you have the impression of someone who is at rest and peace with himself and uh, who knows what they're saying. Thank you very much, Mr. Geislenker. It was a pleasure to us. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Okay, have a nice weekend. All the best. Okay, so then we switch to Italy, not quite to where you are, Viviane, but to Rome.
And here we will get help from Dr. Holzeisen with the interpretation from Italian to German, that is, how we have a counterpart uh, part, um, a uh, suspended vice questor, a um, vice uh, police president, Miss Nandra Nusiandia uh, Scilerio. Did I pronounce that right, Carl? Yes, I would ask. She obviously can't hear us. Maybe she has to log off and log on again. I could just see her in the picture, but... Uh, I think we can still see the picture. Okay. She said the line dropped. So she'll have to log on again. She's just writing me an email. Renate, could you just tell us about her beforehand? Yes, well, she is vice questor. Who was suspended um, the day uh, before yesterday, uh, Vice Questor of Rome? So it's a relatively high uh, office within the police force of Rome. And three weeks ago, She took the floor at a, a citizen's assembly uh, speaking uh, about the measures as a private citizen. She uh, spoke of uh, respect of the um, um, she held a speech characterized by respect of fundamental rights of our uh, Italian constitution, which um, sent ripples around the nation because it came from a legally trained woman. She has a, uh, a PhD in legal sciences. She um, is licensed as a lawyer. And her speech on Saturday three weeks at this protest meeting led to a, a lot of attention. And since then, uh, everybody speaks about her in Italy. She is the um, symbol of a legally justified, sophisticated protest against what um, is um, happening in Italy uh, beginning today, uh, because beginning today we have the 3G rule. Uh, 
generally speaking, so nobody can go to work who is not either, who can't prove that they are either vaccinated against COVID-19 or having recovered from uh, COVID. So this uh, person must have officially been determined to have had COVID-19 no more than six months ago and then uh, having recovered. Or uh, for people who um, don't want to um, be vaccinated, they have to get a, a negative antigen uh, test every 48 hours or every 72 hours a, a negative PCR test. That is the situation beginning today in Italy. So there are national protests. I can see Viviana on the screen now uh, from uh, Genoa, from west to east, uh, all the way down to the tip of the uh, toe of the uh, Italian boot. There are more or less intensive protests, um, some of them only starting in the afternoon in the smaller towns. The uh, protests will start only at 3 or 4 p.m. The situation in Italy is very tense because the lack of evidence base uh, for these rules are, uh, is becoming more and more uh, obvious to people. Nevertheless, many people believe that by adhering to these rules that aren't based in evidence, uh, they might move out of this absurd situation. And that seems to be more and more of a misconception. Okay. I... I can see that uh, she's not back. She is uh, writing, the connection dropped. Um, she's trying to log on again. Well, we have to expect uh, her to be uh, trying to stop, be stopped. Well, based on the function that she had up until two days ago as the vice questor of Rome, uh, she caused quite a stir, of course, uh, with the regime, if I may put it that way. And it is, of course, quite significant if the vice police chief of Rome feels uh, it necessary to speak up as a private citizen at a protest movement, protest uh, demonstration, to stand up for democracy. And that shows 
in what undemocratic, uh, exceptional um, state of emergency we are right now in Italy. Well, in addition, it is the the boss of the stock market who came forward and made a statement yesterday. Do you know about that? Yes, correct. We have this uh, statement as well that wasn't quite as official. He um, had uh, um, had been a minister in the past, and in an official meeting, he spoke of a dictatorial situation. So his position is quite clear, like that of many Italians who still speak in a muffled voice um, about the uh, suspension of democratic rights. Because what we've seen for many months now and what has come to the fore now and starts um, today uh, with these rules uh, restricting your access to uh, work, that is a situation which is not based in evidence at all and has nothing to do with democratic, uh, a democratic situation. But Okay, let's take the opportunity before she drops again. Okay, let's try. So maybe she could just uh, let us know what uh, happened, what the situation is, what she said, and what the status quo is. So, on the 25th of December, in Rome, there was an important civilians manifestation concerning the Green Pass, and 
There were present the publisher of Dr. Sclerosis. No, she, she's been suspended. She's the currently suspended vice questor of Rome for two days, but she also writes books and her publisher had asked her for an interview. So she then followed the invitation to take the stage and talk to the over 100,000 people present. And she spoke there as a civilian, not in her function as a member of the Roman Rome police forces. And she had expressed her absolute disagreement with the necessity to use the green pass and um, in Italy this means to either be have a proof of being vaccinated or um, uh, having a PCR test or being uh, reconvalidated um, after a COVID vaccination. And she talked about the about this 
in front of the 100,000 people, which was, uh, of course, very broadly received, and she expressed her um, disagreement of this act of discrimination, which the proof of the um, Green Pass means, uh, which is mandatory to be able to go to work. Ho spiegato perché manifestare è importante, citando Gandhi, l'emblema della non violenza, e invitando tutte le forze dell'ordine a ricordarsi che noi abbiamo giurato sulla Costituzione e abbiamo il dovere di proteggere il nostro popolo e quindi ho invitato tutte le forze dell'ordine a unirsi con, lo con i cittadini italiani per chiedere appunto la revoca del Green Pass. And in that excellent speech, which I would like to add here, commenting as one of her listeners, uh, Dr. Skirio gave a uh, juridical point of view, as she is a lawyer to the bar, um, explaining the in adjustments of this green pass because it is bare of any scientific base. She practically made it very clear that here we are effectively looking at uh, a legal situation and factual situation for the police to follow such a legal requirement. So she simply said in her speech that there is an absolute lack of any scientific evidence which in turn leads to a complete lack of a legal basis for these uh, regulations and she also quoted Gandhi's uh, basic statements in her speech. Per dire che quello che avevo detto era gravissimo, che mi avrebbero denunciato penalmente per istigazione a disobbedire le leggi e, per, e mi avrebbero aperto un procedimento disciplinare per destituirmi, cioè per cacciarmi dalla polizia. Ok, and on the same evening, the, same evening, the her superior immediately reacted. That means the police president of Rome, the minister of internal affairs, and so on, immediately stated that there will be disciplinary action taken, which of course then did happen. Norma, né di diritto penale né, né altre, 
e quindi ho semplicemente chiesto l'applicazione e il rispetto della Costituzione, fonte di diritto sovraordinata rispetto a tutte le altre, e l'applicazione del Regolamento europeo 953, che è fonte di diritto sovraordinata rispetto a tutte le altre. Ok. Sì, scusa. Um, and, uh, and Dr. Sclero underpins that by no way she had trespassed any legal stipulation, neither uh, constitutional nor criminal, and she also points out that um, the EU legislation uh, 953 of this year with the so-called green certificate that in Italy, however, de facto, this is not practically applied correctly because there has, as she will probably explain, um, this will be made mandatory. E per aver espresso la volontà di fare quello che la Costituzione prevede. Cioè io ho il dovere di esercitare con onore le mie funzioni e quindi di difendere la sovranità dello Stato che appartiene al popolo italiano. Mm -hmm. Oggi, scusa, sì. Also, um, so, she uh, now sees that she's been prosecuted for the fact that she pointed out fundamental rights and she claimed fundamental rights for herself and she did nothing more than simply explaining legal principles in the name and on behalf of the sovereign which is the Italian people. And the reaction of the current government is very brutal, really, in that they opened two disciplinary complaints and she was suspended from service on last Tuesday and that is something that has up to date only happened in connection with the G8 um, rallies in the past in Italy when investigations had been held but never in uh, such a case of a vice questor um, to be suspended of her service before there was any 
legal proof at whatsoever of a legal trespass that is effectively unprecedented. So she would still, despite of what has happened to her, which is the suspension of her service, she would still in by all means repeat to do so she has or Italy article 1 in the Italian Constitution has the declaration that we are a republic based on the work of the Constitution and what she is saying um, that does not um, contradict the principles of that con uh, constitution. Okay. Dr. Scaliro is now explaining why this Green Pass um, legislation is anti-constitutional because it trespasses and violates the first pass of the Italian Constitution, which has been written the way it is in order to uh, not allow fascism to repeat in Italy. And the Green Pass, as it is being introduced today, as of today in Italy, effectively violates all fundamental laws and rights of the Italian Constitution. And this does not only concern the uh, right of free movement, but it is also on the basic right to labor. L'articolo 36 del Regolamento Europeo 953, istitutivo del Green Pass. And these regulations on the Green Pass, as they are being made mandatory as of today, do not only trespass, uh, violate the European uh, Fundamental Rights Charter, but also Article 36 of the EU Regulation 953 issued this year, which uh, concerns the Green Certificate. 
facilitare gli spostamenti tra gli stati e che mai deve essere usato per discriminare le persone e questo invece in Italia sta accadendo. And this is because, Dr. Scalerosi explains, the EU regulation 953 of this year foresees the so-called green certificate in order to uh, rule the traveling in between the countries, but it is not allowed to lead to discrimination within a country. And then, of course, a major reasoning for this illegality of this regulation is that due to the empirical data which started to emerge from Israel, Great Britain and a series of other countries and now from Italy as well, showing that the vaccinated people are just as infectious as non-vaccinated people and is therefore there is no empirical scientific basis for these green pass regulation as they are being implemented in Italy currently. And this is not only being confirmed by the official epidemiologic data, but also by a series of renowned scientists, which, and I may add here, have been, um, been listened to in the Italian parliament. And it is some media and newspapers who report that in the hospitals in Italy there are more COVID-19 vaccinated people over 80 years old than non-vaccinated people over 80 years of age. So it is also the application of this Green Pass which is absolutely illogic because if you use the tube, you don't need to use the Green Pass but if you use the high-speed trains, you do need the Green Pass, so there is no logical basis for the decision whether you 
have to have the Green Pass certificate or not. It is uh, not scientifically based in any way. Another example are the Italian bars and coffee shops. If you have the coffee at the bar, you do need, don't need the green pass, but if you're a meter away from it, sitting at a table, you do need the green pass uh, to have your coffee there. And of course, this is bare of any scientific logic. And Dr. Sclero is has said in her speech, which she held three weeks ago in front of 100,000 people, she pointed out that Italy is the only country in Europe with this extremely strict and absurd regulation of these Green Pass rules. So, at this point of time, Dr. Scaligliani has been suspended from her service. Her salary has been cut by half, and she is now risking, in the context of her disciplinary, um, she risks of losing her job completely. And that is because she has stood up for the guarantee of the constitutional principles. And it is crucial here, and she is pointing out that she had never called in any way whatsoever to take to violence, but she has encouraged people to peacefully uh, live out the constitutional principles and claim the rights provided by the Constitution. So she has never asked people to enter into locations where this green pass is uh, prescribed without a green pass. She, on the contrary, has questioned what happens if the 10 million Italians who 
are not vaccinated and probably won't have the reconvalescence uh, proof and stay at if they stay at home and um, evade the requirement of the green pass and she is pointing out that the port workers of Trieste and those of Genoa are currently closing down the ports we're saying to do this until these green pass regulations are revoked okay so she's saying on the whole this is her story she will also be able to carry on with her effort for a government of law even if she does not have a uniform to wear she is saying that she is a lawyer, she is entered the police services due to a conviction, but as she, how she's being treated by the institutions at the moment, she will probably see her future in the original work of that being a lawyer. She is pointing out that she is accused of the organizers of this big rally in Rome, which is being held every week. She is a member, as a member of the, they presented her as a member of the police. Whereas she um, has always been a popular face on TV and in the media because in many cases she has been presenting the police forces in the mainstream media over the past years. So she is a known face to the Italian uh, population. And this is why the accusation is even more absurd. She is everything than an unknown representative of the police. So uh, she would have been recognized by all means anyway. 
Now, what is the public reaction to what has happened to Dr. Schilio? It is naturally a very split reaction for many. She is a hero who has, out of wisdom, taken the stage, and I may add, she put things in the shell of a nut and for others, of course, she is labeled a terrorist in the media. So naturally, there is a very twofold reaction. And it is, of course, in the nature of things that her, the attention uh, she gets on the uh, social media has grown exponentially uh, on her Facebook. She has over 50,000 followers. Um, Facebook has been blocking her for a number of times already, and she has a respective high level of attendance on Telegram. So especially after her public appearance on the manifestation in Rome, that has grown exponentially as well. And of course, she has uh, caused massive uh, attention. Of course, many, many media stations are inviting her currently. But uh, most of them, and we're talking about the mainstream media here, uh, they are trying to um, uh, kill her in the media. And especially because, and she's mainly contacted by a large part of the mainstream media, and they are attacking her because she had spoken in front of more than 100,000 people in Rome, 
attacking the mainstream media and criticizing them as their um, information is not objective. And the media have massive funds, got massive funds, received massive funds from the government to coin the propaganda, as we can call it, that the government has ordered on certain times. So in Italy, there is massive money which has gone into the media in order to operate propaganda, to do propaganda operations. So, this was and still is mainly about the narrative of uh, keeping up the hazards and the risks and the narrative that only the vaccine is the only exit from this uh, crisis and the problem of the media being um, especially in Italy by this massive financial support. So, Dr. Skidero is saying that she is, she fights for the principles of the constitution of liberty and government of law, and that means with these experimental gene substances, gene-modifying substances, people have to be properly informed. First of all, that's the basic condition for getting to a decision whether you want to take the vaccine or not. And she points out that the, even the CDC has stated that these substances do not lead to sterile immunity. So, it is the news of the day that Premier Draghi has stated that he would that he would that he would 
cut the funding uh, ratifications for the companies who will not participate in these actions. And she hopes that the European Union will stop this totalitarian activities in Italy. She is fundamentally hoping for help from the European Union uh, to... Uh, what, what is currently happening in Italy is unprecedented since the Nazi and uh, fascist regimes of the Second World War. And she is hoping that help and support of the democratic uh, movement will come from abroad. And she is expecting Italy or the Ital Italian society and population being used as a laboratory for social scientific experiments. So what is currently going on with the population is anything but democratic. And her concern is that this Green Pass finally um, will independently of the vaccination uh, be used and stay as an instrument of control and that will lead Italy to a level of China. We all believe that. Uh, from all we've heard so far, it's all about control. I'm very grateful that a um, high-profile person uh, in Italy, well-known in Italy, uh, should have taken the floor. The story reflects that of the former brigadier of the Austrian forces we heard earlier, who the one calls for tolerance in an interview and is suspended subsequently in Dr. Scalario. Um, is suspended because she points out uh, that constitutional rights are under, are under threat. That is unbelievable. I'm very happy that she found the courage, but it's obvious that she is not afraid, that she not only found the courage to speak out at that demonstration, uh, but to carry on even without the position she held in the past. <clears throat> Uh, 
che evidentemente era prima, eh, aveva prima un intervento in, in questa uh, trasmissione. Eh, lui eh, appunto eh, vede eh, in, in tutti eh, questi eh, paesi eh, europei in cui attualmente non abbiamo evidentemente una situazione di democrazia dei, eh, dei paralleli eh, eh, fortissimi e, e sì, eh, è tutt'altro che espressione evidentemente di una democrazia sono d'accordo Pensate che sabato c'è stata una manifestazione in cui alcuni poliziotti hanno picchiato selvaggiamente dei manifestanti, si vedono dei video inequivocabili e nessuno è intervenuto dei miei superiori, nessuno. Mm -hmm. Dove era questa manifestazione? Oh, ma, a Roma. Uh, um, sabato scorso. Sì, sì. Mm -hmm. In order to counterbalance this crumbling away of the government of law, Dr. Askilio points out that, for example, last Saturday there was a police attack on, um, on demonstrators who were beaten up and there was no reaction whatsoever to make these police officers responsible for that violence. We heard about uh, similar things from a, a suspended judge from Portugal, uh, who opposed the police and when the police threatened to uh, beat up demonstrators because they refused to wear masks, uh, he stood up against them and he said, I'm in your way, um, this is not acceptable and you'll have to beat me up first, I'm above you. It is a shame that you can't stop this as a uh, vice uh, president of the uh, uh, police force in Rome anymore, but things will have to change. We have two colleagues of hers from the US, from Los Angeles department, uh, who have been waiting for a while. So I would like to thank you very warmly uh, for your courage, your ongoing courage, but I am convinced that she won't allow herself to be shut up by anyone. And then we hope that uh, by connecting with each other, maybe even the uh, Californians with the Romans. So, Dr. Scalero, thank you very much for your time and energy that you've dedicated to us. Eh, la ringraziano eh, moltissimo appunto per il suo eh, intervento oggi qui. Adesso, eh, 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 subito dopo di lei, ci saranno eh, rappresentanti del Dipartimento di Polizia di Los Angeles. E, e, e sì, ehm, l'avvocato eh, Fülmich ha fatto riferimento ad un intervento nelle settimane eh, precedenti di un giudice portoghese eh, sospeso il quale appunto ehm, 
è eh, intervenuto eh, proprio anche eh, fisicamente a tutelare dei demonstranti contro, eh, contro appunto, eh, diciamo, abusi di, eh, di, delle forze dell'ordine, tra virgolette, e sì, siamo in una situazione drammatica e la ringrazio molto per essere stata oggi qui a esporre la situazione altrettanto drammatica italiana. Vi ringrazio io tantissimo di avermi ascoltato, grazie. With Corbyn's help, we will establish the connection between you and your American colleagues. It is so important to have an international network set up at some stage, probably much sooner than we expect something very positive will develop. Con i colleghi di Los Angeles in modo tale che appunto si possa creare una, una rete. Perché evidentemente bisogna creare rete tra tutte le, uh, le forze effettivamente democratiche. E mi fermo qui. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Um, okay. Jetzt haben wir Michael McMahon und Das Sosedo of the LAPD, the Los Angeles Police Department, which is one of the most famous police departments in the world. There is another one, of course, the NYPD, but LAPD, everyone knows them for, because of all the movies that we've seen that involves the LAPD. How have you been, Michael? Hey, good morning, sir, from Los Angeles. Uh, we've been okay. Thanks for asking. It's, uh, it's a real honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you for uh, taking the time and uh, getting up so early. I, it, I think it's not that early anymore. Uh, it's probably, well, it is early. It's 6.30, right? Just about. The sun oh is just coming up here in Los Angeles. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, you have... Um, you can tell us something about the uh, COVID measure related situation in California and the resistance against vaccine mandates and more within the local police force. We will also, uh, in our chat, we will also inform everyone about um, the possibility of the uh, donations for, for their lawsuit. Uh, it's Roll Call for Freedom. Uh, on givesendgo.com, but everyone can see this in our chat. I think this is important because uh, you're not going to be quitting your jobs, rather you're going to go to court and fight this, right? Uh, with the grace of God, yeah, we're going we're gonna to be fighting this uh, as hard as we can. Mm -hmm. um, it's the city of Los Angeles has uh, implemented a uh, a measure to force its city employees to have the uh, the, the COVID-19 um, vaccine as a condition of our employment. Mm. And uh, if we choose not to um, receive that experimental shot, uh, we will face termination uh, or, or uh, well, I'll be honest, they haven't really said exactly what we're going to face. But right now we're looking at suspension, uh, possibly loss of uh, loss of pay and up to uh, termination at this point. Mm -hmm. And how, 
What's the sentiment amongst the uh, amongst your colleagues, amongst the other police officers? Is it that people are in line with the government and believe that the that these so-called vaccinations are necessary and the only way out? Or is it that um, many of them believe there's something wrong, we have questions, or do they simply give in because they don't understand that this is these vaccines carry a very high risk? Well, I'll be, uh, to be perfectly honest right now, it's about it's about a third, a third and a third. Uh, uh -huh. You know, we have there are those of us that are standing up to this, which is why uh, obviously you invited me on the show. Uh, but there's also a good percentage of individuals who are um, submitting a religious exemption. Um, they find that the vaccine and the manufacturers are using a stem cell line uh, that is against their religion. Uh, but we're also uh, under heavy coercion from our, our, our workplace uh, and they are threatening um, some heavy handed tactics with, uh, with, with what they're, they're coercing these employees to do. They're just giving in and, and um, getting the shot just in order to to keep their job how well informed are your colleagues about what these vaccines really are uh do they know that there's no real uh, medical trials underlying these vaccines do they know that uh there have been very serious side effects that were even reported to VAERS, or do they simply rely on what the mainstream media says which is basically it's effective and it's safe yeah, I think you and I both know that most of the American populace uh, is relying on the mainstream media to get their information with regards to the uh, with the vaccinations. Uh, you know, we've been subjected here for 19 months um, with a constant barrage of the propaganda uh, paid for by uh, big pharmaceutical companies. Um, I, I believe our our previous president had signed uh, some sort of executive order that allows for the propagandizing of the American public. Mm -hmm. And they're taking full advantage of, of, of that as well. Mm -hmm. um, I know that um, in, um, in San Francisco, there's a group of, or there was a pretty large group of municipal employees um, with police officers, firefighters, and other municipal employees. And, but from, from this group, what we hear is, um, well, many of us have to give up because the pressure is so hard and many of us just need to make a living, which also indicates to me that, again, people up there do not or are not fully informed about the real risks of what is going on. This is, uh, as far as we are concerned, as far as what we've heard from all of the experts who we spoke with, this is not about, uh, not just about getting a shot and then keeping your job. It's about life and death, really, potentially. Not always, but potentially. And I suspect that most people in the general population, just as amongst your colleagues, do not know about this. Is this correct? 100%, mm -hmm. 100% cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, maybe Veronica might like to expand on that, but. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's really unfortunate because uh, like we discussed a few minutes ago, 
um, the population relies on the mainstream media. Um, there's an inherent trust that uh, what the local media states is true. Um, and unfortunately, a, a lot of our employees are relying on this as their primary source of income in order to provide for their families. And many of them even question um, the authenticity of the vaccine, but the circumstance that they're in, in providing for their family outweighs a lot of the risk that they've been informed of. And even on our, uh, our notifications from our department, they have acknowledged minimal risk, stating that soreness, redness, and stiffness in the injection area pretty much summarizes what the risks are of, of taking these injections. And that's, as you and, and everybody on this call knows, that it's completely false information that's being conveyed about these injections. So overall, people are making, making life and death decisions with these injections with no informed consent. Now, the only positive uh, thing about this is that uh, if they do run into difficulties, meaning if they do suffer side effects, even serious side effects, uh, they can, of course, go after those who are responsible, including the doctors, because whatever uh, kind of uh, consent they gave, it is definitely invalid simply because they don't, this is not informed consent. They don't, they don't, they're not getting the information that they should get. On the other hand, what good is that going to do in the end? Because uh, you can, of course you can, in some cases one can, can be made whole by getting paid damages, but this is about health uh, and maybe death. Uh, so it's this is not really good news it's uh it's an important piece of information that maybe if uh those of your colleagues who are thinking about getting the vaccinations or the shots if they get this information maybe that'll make them think twice but um i'm not sure now the biggest problem is what are you gonna do if you do get suspended uh we have spoken uh, with uh, the former uh, deputy chief of police from the city of Rome just before we started uh, just talking to you. And we spoke with the former brigadier general, um, one of the former brigadier gener generals of um, uh, uh, the uh, Austrian armed forces. She, the uh, former, de former deputy uh, chief of police, has another job. She's a lawyer. And our uh, former Brigadier General has another job. He's a mountain guide. But what are you going to do? Do you have a fallback you know, position? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, and it's something that I've discussed with my family, along with my, a few of my colleagues like Michael. And it really is about getting to a place in our country mm -hmm. where there are still some freedoms that are protected and looking for alternative profession. Uh, it may or may not be in law enforcement, but um, it, it's something that I and, and my husband have been planning about planning for, and it is a real decision that, that we face. Mm -hmm. how, has the, um, how has your uh, well protest been received by the general public? Has there been, have you, you know, is this broadcast and uh, how how has the media reacted to this and how has have people reacted also in maybe your neighborhood or your friends or are you are you getting support? 
Um, you know, that's tough because we get some really good quiet support from those who are like-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very difficult for them to make this public because the mainstream media also on the other side is, is saying that, um, that we are misinformed, that we're um, misinforming people about this vaccine, that we're putting our selfish uh, decision-making ahead of public safety. Um, in choosing not to be vaccinated. They're also attacking our character. Uh, They've called me an insurrectionist. They've um, posted um, alternative media profiles for Michael and I claiming that we are um, insurrectionists and uh, we empathize with um, some various groups known in the United States for um, that are anti-government, that are anti-policing, um, anti-public safety. And, and there's just a whole alternative profile that's being spun falsely about who we are. So this is, this is they're trying to frame you in such a way as to make you appear as though you're anti-government, anti-democratic. Uh, uh, um, th- this is basically what they're doing all over the world. Uh, left, uh, right-wing, right-wing, Nazi, Nazi. That's how they're trying to frame us. That's how they tried to frame uh, the uh, former general of the Austrian army as well. It is uh, quite obvious that, and most people should if they see all of these examples happening over and over again, should begin to become suspicious. Uh, At least those who really know you, those people, they should really know that this is this is what 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 they call framing. Um, But are you are you um, does your family support you? Does your family and friends, do they still support you? Do they understand? Are they the quiet supporters? My family and I stand on the same foundation Mm -hmm. and I have their full support. Um, I have a few close friends that I can rely on who know me and they support my decision making and they've been very open about it and sharing this information with those who can provide support. And I I think as far as the silent support, it's some of the public who has come across articles or uh, public information, those are some silent reporters um, and silent supporters. Uh, Michael, do you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, you know, I've been I've been fortunate um, to have a, a great support system uh, with my own friends. And, you know, these are the times where you really find out who your true friends are, you know, uh, to to speak the truth. Um, it's it's an uncomfortable thing, you know. I never wanted to be here, and but here I am. I find myself speaking speaking out for for people who aren't ready to speak up for themselves yet. Um, you know, the, we're at we're at the we're at this critical stage of our of our existence, um, and we're being inundated with this false narrative, and we're speaking truth to power. And uh, you know, this is the time where we find out who our true friends are. And the friends that we lose from speaking this truth, um, for everyone we lose, we we gain too. Yeah. You know, there is the silent majority here, and the friends that we're making now are those friends that we keep, um, and that's the important thing. You know, but 
I also wanted to, I also wanted to mention, you know, our group is not necessarily, we're not pro-vaccine, we're not anti-vaccine. For us as Angelinos, as Americans, we are big on freedom of choice and they're removing our freedom of choice from this, this whole ordeal. Um, you know, when Veronica and myself and, and, and the other co-founders of our group, uh, when we started this, um, that's what we started it under. You know, it's to stress that we're all free to make our own decisions about what we put into our bodies. Um, you know, I, I say we're, we are endowed at birth with free will. And as Americans, we have freedoms written to our constitution, freedoms that if allowed to be curtailed, we'll never get back. You know, our country, our democratic republic is the great experiment in self-governance. And that's under attack from both foreign and domestic agents that seek only to subjugate us and rule over us under the flag of a one world government. You know, um, as police officers, we're the last line of defense in this nation. We're trying to get our message out to law enforcement all over the country and all over the world. Um, as we swore an oath, uh, we swore an oath to protect the people of Los Angeles and essentially the people of our country. You know, our powers come directly from the consent of the governed, and we must protect the governed, our city and our country as a result of that. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I keep saying is that being an LAPD officer, and like you mentioned earlier in your in your opening, you know, we're the most famous police department in the country, maybe even the world. Um, all eyes are focused on us, and um, we sort of set the standard and in, in the precedent in how policing should be done. Um, this is why our fight is so important because the eyes of the world are essentially upon us and they're waiting to see what we do. We can't falter, we can't break. Losing is not an option here because it'll have a ripple effect across all of American policing. You know, we stand firmly against totalitarianism, medical tyranny. Our civil liberties are being eroded at breakneck speeds, and we need to put the brakes on this before we're all blown off the cliff. Freedom is essentially it made this experiment known as America prosper for the last 245 years. Um, we, myself, Veronica, we stand along with other freedom patriots here. We're just standing for the citizens and we just need to keep fighting. Exactly. That is the point. And by speaking out and by speaking, by speaking truth to corruption, essentially, I think you are you are addressing many more people than just your colleagues uh, from the LAPD. I think you are addressing and you're getting the attention of many people in this world because you and Veronica, both of you come across as, as LAPD officers who are not in it because they wanted a job, but because they believe in your function as a police officer, as the last line of defense. Um, I think I told you uh, when we first spoke that my, my father was a police officer and he truly believed that he was there to serve and protect, just like you do. That's why I became an attorney, because I wanted to do the same only on a different level. Level. And uh, since all of this is now under attack, this is not about left and right. This is not about Republican and Democrats. It's not about black and white. It is about the fight against totalitarianism. I think that's uh, and tyranny. That's uh, how it's as simple as that. Basically, uh, you can you can use other uh, more. You can lose uh, use um, a legal mumble jumble for this, but that's what it boils down to. This is about the fight for freedom, the fight against tyranny. Uh, this is what um, I think is named 
name is Christian Granucci. The, he's the LA um, uh, uh, captain of the LA fire de fire department, I believe. And that's he he point he said it in exactly the same words, and uh, it was very obvious to anyone who saw this video clip that um, he's behind this. This is not just someone who is trying to sound good, but uh, just like you and Veronica, you come across as really authentic people. And that is what takes the people with you. That'll bring them on your side. That'll eventually turn the tide. Um, that's why I also said we have to connect on an international level, all of us, you as police officers with uh, Dr. Scalero, who we uh, talked with uh, before we started this interview with you, because the connection of people is extremely important. It is the strength that we have as a community of people, as police officers, lawyers, um, uh, doctors, whatever. It is this kind of strength that the other side doesn't have. They only have violence uh, and coercion. Uh, that's not what will work in the end. And, you know, Michael, I think you said this in a very beautiful manner. And I think it's really going to, you know, take people by their hearts to to sort of look into the in, into themselves sort of inside and feel that maybe they can also not, um, you know, carry on with with the lie and really come out and say, this is not what I want. And I want to save my country. I want to save the freedoms that we have that makes this your country and also our country so special. You know, I mean, all around the world, we've been fighting very hard for the for what we believed was democracy and i think um, it's now our turn i mean people before us and i think it's now our turn to really um to, you know make democracy come into full bloom and really have the freedom and the you know the liberties that we have had and and defend them also for us now and for future generations this is really what's it about now and I think you're going to be a great inspiration for others to come forward and, um, you know, do the same same thing. And then more and more people are going to come forward. I think it's going to be like a, a waterfall at some point. An avalanche. Unstoppable. An avalanche. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saying so. It's, um, you know, when we first started this, it, it was it was so important for us. We initially started it as for ourselves. I mean, we, we love the job that we do. We want to save the job that we do. Uh, but we also want to save America. We want to save America and, and make it a place that, that our children can inherit, can uh, grow up in. And I, we didn't want to see in America where we have less civil liberties than we do now. Uh, you know, I mean, just for America, for example, we have the Patriot Act that was enacted right after 9-11. Yeah. Um, and one of the one of the things I say is that 20 years later, we still take our shoes off in the airport. Yeah. You know, these are prior to that. Those are freedoms that we'll never get back. Mm. And if we give up our bodily autonomy here, mm. if we give up our 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 medical freedoms. What's next after that? I don't I don't want to return to the the old normal, I don't want to return to a new normal as they're stressing in the media. Mm. Uh, I just want to, I just want to remain free mm. and people all over the world want freedom. You know, as Americans, we're being conditioned to view our freedoms as being selfish, but people over the world have died previously to ensure that those freedoms are maintained. Um, and I'd like to continue that going. Yeah. We have to keep up the good fight. There's no other way. And as you said, uh, losing is no option. We have to win and we will win 
for just that purpose. We're the good ones. They're the bad guys. It's, it's as simple as that. It's very obvious, too. Okay. Well, uh, is there anything you want to add, Michael or Veronica? Um, first of uh, all, thank you for having us on and including us. It is um, difficult to hear that this is going on around the world as we see short clips because much of the media is being censored here in the United States. Yeah. Uh, Michael and I and, and our colleagues have tried to do our best to keep a pulse on what's going on across the globe. Um, so as difficult as it is to hear this, um, we appreciate it because it reminds us that the fight is real and it's going on globally. And it is comforting to know that there are other people who are in the similar position as us who aren't just giving up, who aren't just walking away. Um, we value the strength that everybody is bringing and we want to encourage everybody to keep going because in the end, just like Michael mentioned, our freedom is at stake. And if we give that up now, we will never get it back. So please find encouragement in that and hope. Thank you, Veronica. Thank you very much. I feel a great, feel great honesty and feel great. Yes, I think you, you have something which, which can hold us, hold us upright. Thank you very much. Thank yeah. you. Okay. If I could just finish, it's been uh, it's been it's been a harrowing 19 months, and um, it's been an extreme honor to even be on this program. I've I've watched so many of your videos here, and I never I never saw myself being on it. So it's quite the honor for me, and I just want to say thank you very much for oh, for having the other us. Other way around, Michael. Without oh. people like you, we wouldn't we wouldn't be nowhere. And it's so important that we just spread the good news that there's more of us who are fighting the good fight. Uh, and that's why it's again uh, vice versa. It's uh, it's a uh, it's an honor and a privilege, and um, and I'm very glad that you came forward. Both of you came forward and are speaking out, not just on behalf of yourselves, but also on behalf of probably at least one or maybe two thirds of the LAPD. And I hope this is going to wake up many more of your colleagues, not just in, in Los Angeles, but everywhere in the States. Right. And please, anybody out there, uh, you know, obviously our, our, um, our legal fees are going to be substantial in fighting forward. Um, and if you could please just check us out on uh, roll call, the number four freedom at uh, Give, Send, Go. Um, we appreciate any donation that you that you send our way. It's all going towards uh, fighting our legal fees. And I will. I can promise you that I'm um, I'm in talks with my colleagues, with those who have more courtroom experience in uh, American courts than I do, and um, I am actively working on putting together a case for you. Um, I I would want to be involved in this because. I did go to law school in Los Angeles, and I consider myself a Californian. <laughs> okay. Well, thank, thank you, guys. And uh, have a great weekend. We'll be in touch. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yeah. Um, fully moved. These uh, policemen touched my heart. Uh, many, many of the people who we had on the
session today very well said and put, and this is what it's all about. Those are, they are the genuine article. Uh, it was very authentic, and I hope that many policemen have seen this, and uh, it's great uh, mindset that we have seen here. It's a marvelous model, marvelous role model. And it's beautiful because it's about their own skin, about the skin of their own children. That is, of course, something that makes or breaks you. So they're growing beyond uh, their own limits. And it's about fighting for everyone to maintain the principle, the principle of freedom. So it's really beautiful to see. Okay, that's it. And that's true. The is the person from Israel who we invited will have to come back next time. She f she testimonies project as Zeugenprojekt um, as a replacement for the apparently not. Uh, um, existing uh, reporting effect uh, a system for um, adverse effects in Israel. She built up a project which is called Testimonies, but we have run out of time. So I hope we can have her back on next time. We have a couple of videos, two or three, worth watching. I think we have the nun, first of all, who tells us about what's really going on from her point of view, and she says it's not only her personal opinion, but it's what is in the news as well. And we have another video with a song, quite cool song on COVID, a rapper fighting against the COVID measures and uh, an incredibly funny and encouraging video of someone from America um, saying to the other side, I wish you all the luck because that's what you need. You won't get it, but uh, it's a great video, so worth watching. I want to think that takes us to the end of this meeting today. Let's uh, point out again, we, of course, depend on donations to continue our work and uh, over media uh, who uh, take care of the technical uh, transmission, they need uh, donations as well. Uh, I'm in Italy right now. We will connect with the Italian media uh, so that we will can be able to stabilize us more. And even if they try to switch us off, that we have alternative means of staying online. And then we will uh, look uh, towards Eastern Europe. Um, I can anticipate that already. Uh, there is a lot of courage and fighting spirit there as well. So it's important. And Rainer, um, when I was at this uh, smallish uh, demonstration in front of the prefecture, um, people recognized me or they knew the committee when I spoke about it. So it's great. It is really uh, global by now, and people are finding out about it so um, there we will certainly get additional contacts that uh, show what's happening here I've also been in contact with uh, medical people from Chile and they'd be happy to join the program next Friday maybe you can arrange for that I've been speaking to Corvin about it it's very interesting to see what's going on they've got a very tough regime um, over 30 doctors who have joined up 
people, uh, medical staff, and it's very difficult for them, so we should uh, yes, listen yes, to them. Yes, we um, heard that from a, a lawyer who spoke about tanks in the roads um, months ago. Uh, it may not have become better. Of course, we'll look into this. It's this internationalization that is extremely important, uh, just like Michael and Veronica just said. That only shows us that it's the same everywhere, which cannot be coincidental, and that is why we are able to create networks and then uh, fight this fight uh, in, we've got, together with others. We've got another topic um, saying, how can we prevent this from happening again? What, how can we set up ourselves as a society to be carry on, to carry on with life afterwards? That's a massive project, and for me it is very, very important. And I had mentioned the uh, community, the corporate, which tries to set this up internationally, providing role models for this movement of self-organization, wherever you can organize things for yourself. That means implementing and living democracy, being able to rule the place where you live and take things into your own responsibility. And I think we should do a a session, spend a Friday on this kind of topic as well. It has begun all over the world, even in uh, California, as Sue uh, told us, and, um, and other countries, parallel societies are created with their own supplies, health care, etc. Health, security, money, exchange of goods, trade, um, all the things that could be done regionally to provide high stability. I think we should support this and uh, encourage as many people as we can to do this for themselves and to see if they can network. It's a very important function here that we could take. Uh, there is uh, legal situations that have to be seen that uh, favor the monopolists at the moment, um, that uh, the butcher shop has to be tiled until the roof, otherwise they can't sell. There's lots of these uh, European strangulating rules that I have fought a long time against. and. Uh, I uh, remember the goose, uh, goose meat uh, hygiene rules, stupid stuff really that monopolized our society and this human interpersonal exchange um, not being dependent of Amazon and eBay and the other guys. Uh, and big companies who are everywhere um, with uh, backpacks on the bicycles, killing down the small enterprises. There's lots of things that we have to make sure that they don't get broken up now. But what we can see here on my little uh, trip now, it's really incredible how much has broken already in a, a city like uh, Genoa. Uh, you can hardly find um, food anymore because um, if you look for a dinner, um, because a lot of restaurants went bust, um, and then you can have something uh, brought to your hotel room, 
Um, so a lot of culture, a lot of um, exist existences have been destroyed. Uh, and uh, all those things where people used to be sitting around the piazza in the evenings, um, that is dead, uh, at least for the moment. We hope that this revives when the whole uh, thing is over, but right now it's a very a paltry time. It's not the viruses. We could if we could. It's, it's not, not the viruses. Okay, that takes us to the end for today. Viviana, do you want to go ahead with that? Well, I wish everyone a wonderful Friday evening and a wonderful weekend and see you next week. Right, goodbye. Have a nice weekend. Hello, liebe Politiker, Huren der Medien und bestochene Polizisten. Wir wollen Ihre verdammte, tödliche, unfruchtbar machende Quacksalbermedizin nicht. Wir wollen die diskriminierenden, trennenden Passsysteme nicht und auch nicht Ihre komischen Kredit, sozialen Kreditsysteme. Wir sind keine Kulte. Wir können Statistiken lesen. Wir können selber denken und wir wissen, wie Narzissmus aussieht. Wir wollen nicht China werden. Wir wollen nicht, dass Sie uns regieren. Wir kennen unsere Rechte und wir kennen unser Geburtsrecht. Uns würde es gut gehen ohne Sie. Die Hypnose und die Gehirnwäsche. We aren't of a fluoride stare TV level adolescent mind who falls prey to drama and peer pressure. So you can prance around with your drolling, repetitive, embarrassing and flailing advertising campaign all you like. But to us, it reeks of desperation, shows us what pathological liars you are and only highlights those sellouts who have sold their souls to the agenda. But good luck. You're going to need it. What I think is going on, this is my summary, but it's not my invention, this is the news, is that the, the group of globalists, um, everyone involved in this new reset, global economy, one world order, all of that, anywhere, and, and enforcing the jab, the, the COVID uh, vaccine, which is a pathological weapon to destroy our body, that's what it is. Um, and if you haven't felt it, if you've been, if you've taken the COVID vaccine and you haven't, you feel f just fine, that is working in your body to destroy it. Um, there's an article today on LifeSite News, um, by, I think it's a Dr. McCullough, I don't, I have to look it up, um, who explains exactly what happens with those vaccines. And what I've gathered from all the reports is that the um, Soros, George Soros is of the world, the Bill Gates, um, everybody involved in this reset, so to speak. Um, and the Holy Father is their spiritual leader. Uh, I don't hesitate to say it because I'm not revealing anything that hasn't been all over the news and the Vatican and every place else. Um, 
is that they want to control the world population, completely have us under their control. The world population is too big. And so this COVID vaccine has been invented to eliminate us, to kill off a great percentage of the population so that what's left, they have uh, a reasonable hope. I hate to use those words, the Bishop uh, Baron, a reasonable hope of killing and controlling the rest of us. So um, it's a, it's a, um, I don't think such a horror book has ever been written, horror novel has ever been written, but it's true. And I believe it 100%. And I think our time is limited, very limited now, um, for this reign of evil, of persecution, of death to truly take hold of us because as we've heard uh, from many the forces of evil uh, as announced by President Biden concerning his own thoughts uh, are growing impatient. We're too slow in obeying. We're too slow to uh, buy into their false statements. We're too slow to obey their dictates. Um we're just too slow and we're holding back the reign of evil. So what's wrong with us? We need to be put away. We need to be silenced. And so I say to you, beloved, that evil is coming upon us, is upon us. But I think uh, we don't have much time. I, I don't even think it's a few months from now that we're going to um, uh, experience what we've never imagined. So now is the time. Now, today, is the day of salvation. Uh, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. I don't have it. Because I never got it. Because I don't want it. Because I don't trust you. Yet you still insist. I need a proof of vaccination to exist. And so the lies persist, but some of us can tell, and you bet we will resist. I hope you know it's plain to see, the pseudoscience you misuse on the TV. And all the power you abuse to keep the people confused and afraid. How is this still going on? First thing going for way too long. If you went blind, you can see that this is wrong. And I won't comply. I mean, no way. I may be wrong, and after all, I'm just a singer. But I'm not afraid to use my brain and middle finger. So go ahead and do your thing, but I'm not taking anything. These vaccine passports are a crime, and so I sing. Hell no, am I gonna get it? Hell no. H E double L N O. Don't trust the government? Hell no. Do I comply? Hell no. H E 